welcome to episode episode 200 of Respawn Aim Fire, the uh, the Kickass Irreverent Gaming Podcast from Affable Idiots. I am Holden Depardo, and I'm here uh, here with um, Chad Michaelanis. Uh, yeah, Chad. Chad's here, and uh, we've got the dreamiest fan base of all time, and they're joining us from all over the world. Uh, you can catch us every Sunday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. That's uh, Sunday nights, Sunday, the Lord's Day. Uh, you can also catch us on YouTube and podcast services. If you didn't catch us on Twitch, uh, every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. You know, we got a pretty all right episode. There was uh, a Nintendo Direct that some people have some uh, some Shut thoughts the on. Uh, there was a Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think I was coming from the door? You silly little bitches, you. What's up, everybody? <laughs> I hit my knee, but I'm okay. Hey, everyone. Oh, I'm going to have a bruise there. That's right. I'm Chad Michaelinis. This is episode 200. We've got some fun shit today to give to you. Uh, thank you, Holden, for that wonderful introduction. This is hot. Oh, that was actually probably my worst one ever. No, it's okay. It's beautiful. I'm just taking... Holden it will worked. be your host. It worked out. I'm just taking over for this main quest. Everyone, this is episode 200, the 200th episode spectacular colon from the grave <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> we are officially four years old this week. Our first podcast was way back four years in old. 2017. A little last yeah. week of February, we were... Tiny little asparagus popping this out of the thing dirt. Came out. When this thing came out. <laughs> You're right. The switch came, we planned it around the switch launch. We did the week before. Yep. So that we could do Horizon Zero Dawn and like get our bearings before the switch actually launched with Breath of the Wild. And look at us now. We were once split screen gaming podcast. We are now Respawn Name Fire, part of the Empire of Affable Idiots. Oh, I'm out of breath. My knee hurts. I want to throw up and go to bed. Everyone, we have four <laughs> really exciting things to go over during this main quest. We got to talk about our website because we have a fucking website. What? Yeah, you stupid bitches. Two, we have a bunch of fun facts about episode 200. Three, we have Game on Game Show in the front. In the front? What? 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 Did he say the front? Fuck yeah, he said the front. That's so exciting. This never happens. That's right. And then we also have our discussion that you participated in the next gaming in decade. Nope. The next decade in gaming predictions. <laughs> <laughs> the next gaming in next a decade. Gaming in a decade. <laughs> All of that's wrapped up into this first main quest, starting with some of the most exciting news. The Affable Idiots website is live. Why the hell does that matter, Holden? Because it's Year of the Guest Part 2. Reprise. Woo! Woo! We met most of you little <laughs> tiny baby birds. Last year, two years ago, it was two years ago in 2019, through Year of the Guest, we invited a lot of people over to our show, we did some fun things, we, uh, I am, I am still out of breath, seven minutes later. Yeah, I'm like, um, if this were me, I would be out of breath the entire rest of the episode, you're way, is, way better shaped well, than it's, me. Well, it's because so I'm wearing I'm the windbreaker like, inside, like an idiot. <laughs> you, broke, you broke the wind I out broke of it. you completely. I broke the wind, all in the wind of my body. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. We met most of you like two years ago through Year of the Guest. We want to do it again. It's been a little bit in, in quarantine where we've had guests on occasionally, but we want to make it more of a regular thing. We are ready to meet some more. We're ready to re-podcast with some of our old friends. So 
What does that mean for our website? If you go right now, this is me tapping on your keyboard really quickly. If you go right now to affabilities.com, the very first thing you'll see on our website is a survey that you can fill out to let us know, hey, this is my name, this is who I represent, this is when I'd like to come on, and we're going to be uh, podcasting with you, PDQ, pretty darn quick, ASAP, PRN, that's when necessary if you're a nurse. I learned that because my neighbor's license plate was hug PRN, means hug when necessary. <laughs> <laughs> But not only does our website have that intake survey right on the front of it, but it also has really cool links to all of our stuff that we do, whether it's Respawning Fire, AAWI. By the way, this time, Year of the Guest expands to AAWI if you want to be just on a fun discussion podcast. And then the third thing is on there is all of you, all of our lifelong friends that we've had on our show in the past. You know, we've linked to their stuff in our show notes occasionally as they've been on. But we wanted a place to highlight all of you. So if you go there, you can take a look at all of our guests. You can see what content they provided. Get links to it. Go follow them. Go tap their bottoms. And uh, so that's really exciting. So head over to affabilities.com. Check it out. Uh, very exciting. And if you're not there already, because we don't have everyone's information yet, send us your info. Reach out. And we will absolutely put you on because we want everyone yes. to, to be there. Yes. If you were like... I was on an episode 14 years ago, and you guys don't have me listed on there. It's like, we want to put you on there. Please reach out. Send us your links. Anyway. I said the pre just to be clear the prerequisites on that, been on our show. We've been on your show as well, because there's some people that we've been on counts. their show that have been on ours. So kind of either, either way. Either way that it works counts. out. Boom. Go to affabilities.com. We'll say that 17 more times during this episode 200. Wait, we should say it 200 more times. <laughs> 200 more times. Speaking of 200, we're getting 200 water pours today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Part number two. That was a messy one. I thought that was going to go all over it your pants. Nowhere. It looked like it was going to fly everywhere. I've had everywhere. messier ones that look tamer. <laughs> That's what she said. It's always the buttoned up ones that go crazy in the bedroom. Number two. Some fun thing. I think this would be really fun to do. They do this on Beyond. They do this uh, on some kind of funny shows. Every like milestone, they go and read some facts. <clears throat> Most of the time, it become it comes from a fan who's super dedicated and has like a database. Uh, what's up? What the fuck's up, fans? Lifelong friends? You didn't have a database for us, <laughs> so I made up a couple of facts that are fun. <laughs> Here they are. This is episode two hundred of Respawn Aim Fire, formerly known as Prince, formerly known as Split Screen Gaming Podcast, based on the novel Push by Sapphire, presented by viewers like you. Um, although this is technically episode 200, we've produced 251 pieces of content. So that includes like side quests for game reviews. That includes barf. That includes all sorts of like E3 reactions. So there are 251 pieces of content for you to listen to with over 55,000, almost 56,000 plays on audio alone. So that doesn't count any of our YouTube shit. So all, which may be another hundred. <laughs> so... Across 251 pieces 100, of content. 100, not 100,000. <laughs> we have 55,901 plays as of today, which is fucking dope. Thank you so much, everyone. 99 of those tracks have over 200 plays, hence episode 200, Inception. Oh, fuck, I forgot the glasses. Ah! <gasps> Look at our glasses. We're going to have glasses on for the next couple minutes just because we have to get the most out of them. I spent a lot of time making this 200. <laughs> Um, 99 oh, of it. those tracks there we go. have over 200 plays, which is dope. So, 200. What are some other things with 200? Well, 
I asked Holden, Holden, can you make a list of games that you've played for over 200 hours and maybe even get the exact number of hours if possible? And Holden, you shot back with a very short list. And I was like, very short. That's nothing. And I looked at my list and I was like, well, damn, mine's also very short. So this is quite an achievement, <laughs> 200 hours of playing one list. Let's start with your highest, Animal Crossing New Horizons. To no surprise to anyone. <laughs> Animal Crossing New Horizons has over 400 hours in it. And about 100 of those were this week. The mm-hmm. Legend of yeah, Zelda, all, all Breath of the of Wild. Hours. Holden put 345 hours into. Most of that was in the first week. <laughs> then... Uh, <laughs> The third one, can you guess? Can you guess? It is another Legend of Zelda game, Twilight Princess. Now, this one did surprise me, and you said there's a caveat. Explain why you have 200-plus hours in Twilight Princess. Okay, first of all, I've played it a bunch of times. Not special modes or anything, but as a kid, I just didn't have many games in my GameCube. So I just played mm-hmm. it many, many times over. But there was a summer where, Wait, 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 like, wait, wait, you know, wait, 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 wait. You had the GameCube yeah. version of Twilight Princess? I did, yeah. You were the one Which person is the in the whole world way. who got the GameCube version of Twilight Princess. <laughs> it, <laughs> it is the superior version for sure. I don't think I've ever met so anyone like So here's you. what happened. <laughs> GameCube rocked. There was one summer where I'm like, I'm going to play Twilight Princess again, but when I sleep, Link is going to sleep, and I'm just going to leave my GameCube running, oh my and he's going to sleep in Hyrule Field. <laughs> and that one playthrough <laughs> took me 200 hours, because it... Just playing the game and letting it run all the time. Um, so I know that is over 200 hours for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out. I beat the game that way. Um, but there's probably about 100 hours more of playthroughs after that. But I'm fully aware of those 200 hours it took to beat that one playthrough. When you picked it back up, like when you sleep, Link sleeps. But when you're awake, were you constantly playing Breath of the... Not Breath of the... What's the name? Twilight Princess? Like, when you were awake, well, Link was I mean, going. Link would sleep for, like, 18 hours, and then I'd come back to him. And, like, oh, it wasn't okay. like I'd play it all, all day okay. long. That was Breath of the Wild when I first got Breath of the Wild, not Twilight Princess. Got it. Okay. Um, then your fourth one, and this is a maybe, and I've got a lot. I've got some, some guesses on my list as well. But maybe Pokemon Gold slash Silver. Did you have both Gold and Silver? I played, um, yeah, I had them separately because I, I lost my silver cartridge and then got gold again, and I put an insane amount of hours into both of them. It probably equated to maybe around 200 hours. And I'm certain of that because the gold copy, literally the battery died on the cartridge and I couldn't save anymore because I played that game so much. Well, you probably had the wrong brand of battery in it. Great game. Was it a Duracell watch battery? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Dope. So those are your four games that you put over 200 hours into. Probably. Yeah. I have five games. One of them's a maybe. The one that I know for sure, this is the only game that I have a specific number of hours for. Can you guess what it is? Mm, it starts with a D and ends in a two. Probably Diablo 2. Dark That's Souls right. 2. Nope. <laughs> Destiny 2. Oh, I was going to say Destiny it 2. Is, it is Destiny oh, okay. 2. Yeah. Destiny 2. <laughs> so I have on PlayStation alone 605 hours. And then I've also Ooh. played probably wow. an extra 50 hours on Stadia and Xbox combined. And that's just Destiny 2, not Question. Destiny 1. How much of that was in the past year? Because you've been playing that game hardcore the past year. Probably, yeah. I would probably say like 350 to 400 hours was, in, was since October of 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. 
Uh, and then I have three that I don't have number counts for because they were from when I was a kid, but they are definitely over 200 hours. And that is Guild Wars, Diablo 2, which I'm so fucking pumped for is coming back, and Sacred, which is a Diablo 2 like knockoff from Sierra that was basically like, all right, we've we've played Diablo 2 into the ground. We need something new, but this is the same game but different. So it's Sacred. And then my maybe, I was like, I might, I don't know, but maybe over my time as a kid, playing N64 Perfect Dark. That's probably the only other game that I've put over 200 hours into. Really? Yeah. Oh, we played the shit out of that multiplayer. Interesting. My my brother, my sister, oh, and I. Oh, forgot I had multiplayer. I'm thinking like single player first person shooter on N64. I, mean, we also, I forgot about multiplayer We played completely. that campaign over and over. You could be Elvis. Elvis, there's a tiny alien that you could play as whose name is Elvis, named after Elvis Presley. It's insane. Dallas in the chat, DF and Smitty, 200. That's right. Look at the glasses. They make, they're even sexier when your tongue is out. Hold on, put your tongue out. <laughs> I'm going to screen grab that. <laughs> Dope. Uh, yes, episode 200. So those are our 200 facts. But we can't just end it there. Part three of four of our main quest is Game On Game Show. The Game On Our Gaming Show called Game On. The Gaming Show on Our Game Show. Game, 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 game. We have a special one today, Holden. This one has a similarly brief title called Game on Game Show 200th Episode Special Edition Spectacular, now with 12% more pep! Exclamation point. (laughs) (laughs) So Holden, because it's our 200th episode, we've talked a lot about games we played for 200 hours or more. I made a Game on Game Show centered around the number 200. And it is mostly just a bunch of trivia questions uh, around that number, and it's just for you to go and guess. You can get points. I don't care what they are. So keep track of them, but don't tell me what they are. Yes, I know Holden's <laughs> glasses are terribly arranged, but I told him if he it's, moves, I'm not moving the glasses. Yeah, I, it's my fault. I've been moving around. In fact, you know what? It's time to take oh, the well. glasses off. They're distracting me. Here we go. Um, so Holden, <laughs> we have one, two, over. three, four, five, six <laughs> questions. The first one is... We don't have 200 questions? No, we don't have 200 we questions. We have 200 questions. We have six 200 questions. Just repeat questions. them until we have 200. These are repeat 200 until the we adjective have 200. questions. We have six 200 oh. questions. The first 200 question mm. is... This game has the largest video game install size of all time, with over 250 gigabytes needed for full installation on PC, and is the only game over 200 gigabytes. Do you know what game this is? <laughs> Um, I mean, Call of Duty Warzone is my guess, Ooh. but it's, it's probably not that though, because it'd have to be a specific, would it have to be Call of Duty, um, you're not right, but you're not wrong. No, because, no, no, because Warzone includes the most recent Call of Duty game as well, so that doesn't, that wouldn't work. All right, so what, all right, I'm wrong, what is it? No, you're not right, and you're not wrong. Okay, that's confusing. <laughs> <laughs> The answer is Call of Duty Cold War, which includes Warzone as a download as well, as part of it. I was very close. Yes, yes. Very Call of close. Duty Cold War, uh, 250 gigabytes, and it is the only game of all time whose complete package requires more than 200 gigabytes of space. Apparently it's because of the audio. They don't compress the audio, so it has better sound or something like that, and that's why the file that makes size sense, is so like large. Bread and butter is audio. Like, Look at how realistic our guns sound. Yeah, exactly. 200 question number two. The second 200 question. 
These six games are the most expensive ever made, with development and marketing costs totaling over $200 million each. So there are only six games in existence that cost more than $200 million to make. Can you name as many of the six as you can? You don't have to get them in order, you don't have to guess their budget, but I'll tell you if you name it. Cyberpunk 2077, I'm pretty sure, is one of them. Cyberpunk 2077 is the second slot with $330 million for the budget. Uh, GTA 5. GTA 5 is number 5 out of 6 with $265 million. Red Dead Redemption 2? Not on the list. Really interesting. Wow, they really prioritized GTA 5 over Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> they did. Um, this is going to be tougher now. Okay, so I'm going to say probably not Nintendo games because I feel like they're too cheap. <laughs> they will never <laughs> spend that much on a, on a game. Am I wrong? Is there no, am I right? Is there no Nintendo games? Um, I cannot say definitively whether these games are not available on Nintendo platforms, but none of these games are made by Nintendo. They're not made by Nintendo. Okay, okay. Um, whew, this is going to be tough then because I don't know. Like, Is a Call of Duty game going to cost them that much? Because they put them out every year, but they would make it back every year. So, all right, let me... I'll say Call of Duty Cold War because they're they're not going to go down in budget. They're not going to go up list. in budget. So Call of Duty Cold War. Okay, so I'm willing to bet the no Call of Duty games on the list. There is a Call of Duty game on the list. Really? Okay. Um, Call of Duty Black Ops Four. Not on the list. Nope. I'm going to go down the list of all the Call of Duty <laughs> all right, games. I know let's now. go. Call of Duty. Um. Oh shit! What was the? I'm thinking re- I'm right. I'm thinking in terms of the R&D budget to research new stuff, which would be a next-gen version. So either it's going to be like a Call of Duty Ghost because that was the first on the that generation or I'm going to say Call of Duty, what was the first one in this generation? It was Black Ops 4, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Or, or it was um Cold War. Yeah. Cold War. Cold War. No, Cold War was it. Okay, never mind. Call of Duty Ghost then. Uh not on the list. <clears throat> Really? I think this is going to be boring to listen to me just name, name random yeah, well, games. We'll say I got you two lose the Call what of Duty are... one, but do you have any other guesses as to what the other games might be? You um, have a very special interest in one of these games. Or not a special interest, but you are very concerned with its development and you are just kind of blown away by it. Oh, right. Duh. Star Citizen. Star Citizen, yes, is number three with $320 million yeah. so far. That number is this. I like, there double checked. Seventy current as of like December thirty first, twenty twenty. And they made seventy million just last year, I think, or something ridiculous like that. Yep. It's insane. Um, interesting. Star Citizen. Final Fantasy fifteen. Is that on there? Not on there. Nope. Okay. I'm good guessing. I'm, I'm just curious for the rest right. of them are now. So the sixth most expensive game of all time, coming in at two hundred even, is Star Wars: The Old Republic. And that's really? the, I think that was an MMO version of Star Wars. Yeah. Then, never would have number guessed five, that. Grand Theft Auto V, which we've already mentioned, at 265. Mm-hmm. Then, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 at 250 million. Interesting. Oh, sorry, I have those backwards. Sorry. Never. Grand Theft Auto V is fourth, Call of Duty is fifth. Gotcha. Number three, we already know, is Star Citizen. Number two is Cyberpunk at 330 million. Number one. Has a budget of five hundred million dollars, or cost five hundred million dollars to make and market. 
you have any guess what this might be? Snipper clips. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it is Destiny 1. The first Destiny really? game. 140 million of it was just development cost. The rest of it was all marketing, advertising, partnerships, that kind of stuff. Interesting. I was just going to interrupt and say, is it because they had to redo so much of it that cost that kind of counted towards the development cost oh, of it? Oh, that could but, have, right? Because it was much more lore-focused before they kind of stripped that out of it. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah, Destiny 1 is the most expensive game ever made. That's an insane amount of money. Holy shit. Question number three. And it didn't really pay off to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> the third 200 question. Now this, you're not going to get all of them, but I think it's fun. I'm going to give you a 200-second time limit. A 200-second? Okay. These 17 home console video game consoles all debuted for $200 even or more. Name as many as you can in 200 seconds. Set a timer for Wait, how many are there? There are 17. I'm going to mark them off as 17, you go. 17, okay. $200 or more. $200 or more. $199 does not count. Okay, so I mean, PS1's not on the list then. PS2, PS3, PS2? PS4, PS5, Xbox, Xbox uh, 360, Xbox One, Xbox Series S, Xbox Series X, um, the Wii U, the Nintendo Switch... Um, the Nintendo 3DS, does that count as a home console that is only? That is home console only. Okay. Um, how many do I have? Is that, th I think it's 13? 3, 4, 5, 12, 6, 13? 7, 8, 9, 10. You have 10. 10, okay. Um, Dreamcast? Nope, not on the list. No? Not on the list. Oh, there's the Atari VCS. <laughs> <laughs> not officially released yet, so it's not on the list. The backers have it, so it is out. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm questioning because like adjusted for inflation, like I don't think that the NES was, but technically with inflation, I think it might be. Was not. Is, it, is, is this in counting for inflation? No, or is this, this is the not dollar value at the time released. Correct. Oh, I might be at a loss. Then Sega Saturn. Sega Saturn is on there. Yep. Okay. Um, the the Gen is Genesis on there? Genesis is not one of the consoles, nope. Okay. You're missing eight systems. <laughs> I'm really curious. Oh, I'm good. What are the other eight systems? All right. So you uh, you had 97 seconds left when you gave up. The other <laughs> systems that you missed, uh, by the way, sorry, I lied. It was not 17. It was 19 home video game consoles, but it doesn't matter because you didn't get anywhere close. The Wii was at $249. The oh, I thought it was two hundred. You're right. Yeah, two forty nine. PlayStation was two ninety nine, the original PlayStation. The Sega Ma Sega Master System was two hundred dollars even. And then the other ones I would never would have guessed. I never would have had you guess, which was Atari fifty two hundred at two sixty nine, Atari Jaguar at two forty nine, the Mattel Intellivision at two ninety nine, and then get this. Get how much these costs at launch, back in nineteen ninety and nineteen ninety three respectively. Neo Geo was six hundred and forty nine dollars. And the 3DO was $699. That was a lot of money. And just for inflation, that's a fucking ton that's of money. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit, yeah. All right, three questions left. Number four 200 question. These seven games plus DLC are the most expensive games to purchase, all of which cost over $200 to buy it all. 
This does not include games that have infinite currency, like Fortnite or GTA V, that you could just microtransaction yourself into oblivion. So, <clears throat> these seven games and their DLCs, if you bought it all, would total over $200. Take some wild guesses. Destiny 2. Uh, there's been a lot Destiny of expansions for that. Destiny 2 then I have no fucking clue what the rest of these are. That was the only one that I thought of initially. Um, whew, fuck. Um, and this is saying you're buying the standard version of the game and then the DLC packs afterwards. It's not like buying right, your gold buying edition. You're not buying a collector's or... edition Ellie statue. Okay. You're buying a game and it's downloadable content. Which could include costumes, Not Destiny levels. 2, really. Not Destiny 1 either, then? Does Destiny 1 count? Because I had a lot of expansions. Hmm. I'm at a complete loss, then. Because I can't think of games that have a ton of DLC packs for it. I will, so you might as well just spoil it. Just spoil it. I will just tell give me. You, I'm curious okay, so the, the least expensive of the seven is a game called Closers at $314. I have no idea what Closers is. Jesus. I'm sure you don't either. The sixth one might surprise you. BuzzFeed article. At $470 <laughs> is Little Big Planet 3. If you were to buy all the DLC and costume really? packs and all of that kind of stuff, $470. Rock Band. Rock Band's got to be on there. So, not Rock Band. You're kind of close. Rock Band though. 2? Not the Rock Band franchise. Oh. Guitar Hero World Not Tour? Not Guitar Hero franchise. Dance Dance Revolution. No. You're getting colder. I'm getting colder? Mm -hmm. Rocksmith? Yes. Rocksmith 2014 remastered okay. at $6,757 if you bought all the songs. <laughs> 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 Holy shit. Yeah. That's insane. Or you could, like, buy a Mac Pro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. However, Jeez, that is only man. the third Holy most crap. expensive one. I can't even fathom what the other games are going to cost then. So fifth on this list at $510 is The Sims 4 with all their expansions. Like, buy babies okay. this time. Buy a hot tub now. Buy okay, a Halloween sense. pack. Yeah. The fourth most expensive at $2,051 is Dead or Alive 6. All them bouncing boobies. Okay. The second most expensive is Train Simulator 2020 at $10,373 worth of microtransactions <laughs> and DLC. <laughs> and the first one... Well, technically an asterisk because it's not actually released yet, but you can still pay a lot of money for all the DLC. If you were to buy everything in Star Citizen, oh, Star Citizen. it would be $27,000. Yeah, because they have ships that cost $1,000 to buy one ship in the game. Yep. Which is all just right. bananas. Two questions left. Number five, 200 question. You're, you're not going to get any of these. I'm going to try to give you clues to them, but... These outlets ranked hundreds of games. These games were number 200 on their list. <laughs> so I'm going to give you four different outlets <laughs> rankings, or whatever they're called in their year, and you're going to guess what game was number 200 on that list. The first, in February <laughs> of... So impossible! <laughs> in February of 2006, 
Nintendo Power for their 200th issue um, concluded <laughs> its 200 greatest games of all time. What do you think was bottom of that list? Number 200. I will give you a couple of okay, clues. So this is it is a tried Nintendo. and true. Yeah, uh, it is a not necessarily a Nintendo game, but it was a Nintendo available on GameCube. Okay. The game came out on GameCube. Okay. It is a tried and true blue collar simulation. Mm. <laughs> so helpful. I'm going to say <laughs> Bloodborne. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um ah, it's very blue collar though. You can think about mm. you can think about the movie Twister. There's a line called "We got cows." It's going to be very relevant to this game. I have absolutely no clue. L- Luigi's Mansion. Why not? That was a GameCube game. That has nothing to do with cows. <laughs> but he's the got a twister with a vacuum. Who Harvest knows? Moon, Another Wonderful Life on GameCube. <laughs> <laughs> In 2009, November, Game Informer did a 200th issue ranking their 200 games of all time as well. What game on the PS2, GameCube, and Xbox was number 200 there? I'll give you a clue. It was a third-person action-adventure game, and there's a quote, from Twister that goes, we got pigs <laughs> that will be very helpful for this. <laughs> Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, close, idea. though. Right around that time. Actually, you know, it's not too far off. We got pigs. I'll give you another clue. A sequel was revealed a few years ago and blew people's Psychonauts? Minds. Is this game out revealed a few years ago, or is it no, still a weed? No, it's very it? much one of those, like, where the hell is this game? Why haven't we heard anything about it? Oh, Beyond Good and Evil. That is correct. Beyond Good and Evil was Game Informer's Boom. 200th game of all time in November 2009. I got him the first guess, too. I'm awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there are four total of these. The third one is, in November 2017, so this includes a lot more recent games, Polygon did the 500 best games of all time. What was their number 200th game? I'll give you a clue. You'll never guess it, so I'm going to give it to you. 30 Flights of Loving <laughs> for Mac and PC. Whatever oh, the hell that is. That's a great game. It's an awesome You've game. You've never heard of that game Everyone in your life. knows that game. You've never, never heard, heard of that game, of you no, piece never. of shit. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> this last one, though, you have to get. In March of 2018, Game Informer did a reader's choice top 300 games of all time. Which Nintendo 64 game from Nintendo was listed as number 200? I have the feeling that it's not going to be like Ocarina of Time or Mario 64. I feel like that would get higher up on the list. Okay. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say Star Fox 64. It's not Star Fox 64. I'll give you one more guess with a clue. In this game, you could only hold one item. <laughs> Mario Kart 64. It is Mario Kart 64. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. That is the 200th best game of all time, as voted by the readers of Game Informer in 2018. 
And then finally, the last 200 question, number six. This was the 200th game ever released to include Mario as a character. And yes, I went on the database of all game. games that have Mario, and I counted 200 of them, not including duplicates <laughs> on multiple platforms. <laughs> give me uh, just a little bit of time here. <laughs> I'm so going to go here's, I'll uh, give you the generation. The, list the generation. Okay. It came out on Wii U. Okay. Okay. All right. So that actually does narrow it down, because I don't think there were... I mean, there were still a fuck ton of Mario games that came out on the Wii U, let's be clear. Now, these are games that featured down, Mario as well. So games like Tennis on the NES, okay. or games like Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games. Oh. Mm, that is tougher. Okay. Well, I'm going to knock those two out, because I don't think you would have said those games. <laughs> well, I already it. told you it was the Wii U, so it's not Tennis on the NES. Yeah. No, it's not. Um... Okay, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna say it was. <laughs> in this game, can you also only have one item? And is it Mario Kart Eight? <laughs> <laughs> it is not Mario Kart Eight Deluxe or Mario Kart Eight. But I will give you another clue. Mm -hmm. There's a quote from Twister. <laughs> it goes, "That's why my friends call me Whiskers because I'm curious like a cat." That's very relevant to this. Super. Super Mario 3D World? Yes, it is Super Mario 3D World. Was the 200th Boom. game to ever include Mario as a character. <laughs> that is it for Game on Game Show, but that is just the beginning for episode 200. Because we have one last section of our main quest dedicated to the next decade in gaming. What's happening between 2021 and 2013, Mr. Potter? Um... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the tables back over to you, Holden, as host of this podcast episode and let you talk about why we're here, guessing this, etc. Yeah. So, a little while ago, a lifelong friend of the show, Dan Root, um, was asking me, what do you think is going to happen in the next decade of gaming? And I'm like, that's a great question. What is going to happen in the next decade of gaming? So I figured, well, why not celebrate that for our 200th episode and start thinking about the next decade of gaming then. Um, we also wanted to wait until after the next-gen consoles came out, because it would have been kind of weird to, like, predict the next generation, the next, like, decade of gaming right on the cusp of these new consoles coming out, so we wanted to give it a little bit of time. So we're doing it now, and this is just for fun. This isn't, like, you know, our yearly predictions where there's, like, a stakes to it or anything like that, or the Summer Games Bet Fest from last year. Um, which actually didn't end up having stakes. We need to figure out what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. We, we were supposed we to like, need play to a next-gen game a certain, with like certain like your arms tied behind your back or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. So we're just kind of saying, just kind of spitballing on what are some things we think are going to be happening in the next decade of games. We each have like – you have four? I have, I have, I have five. Four, you see, you have four like larger enveloping predictions okay. for the next 10 years of gaming. But I, I, I have some pretty straightforward ones. Good, good. So we can kind of go back and forth, I think. I started thinking about this. I'm not going to give a prediction now, but I want to give some kind of setup to it. I started thinking about, like, all right, well, what happened between 2010 and now? And we were, like, halfway through the PS3 generation's life cycle. And I'm like, you know, there's not a whole lot that's happened. Like, we've got the integration yeah. with social media and streaming that really came about. We have, like, games as a service came about. VR got introduced. Um, 
But there's not a, not a lot that's happening because you're thinking, oh my god, 10 years. So the future is going to be here. We're going to play playing in our flying cars. And it's like, no, we got, we got to tame our expectations <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly where I was too. I'm like, you can't go too crazy with this because it's 10 years really isn't that long. Especially when you only really get one, maybe two generational upgrades per decade. So like, yeah, it's not, not that much is going to change. But it's still exciting to think about nonetheless. Um, do we want to... I have five, so I think I should go first because when we go back and forth, yep. it'll, I think we'll kind of yep. end up on the same on the same point. And kind of with that in mind of like, things aren't going to change that much. Do you know what's not going to change that much? What? Nintendo Switch, that style of Nintendo console, like this little hybrid thing that has Joy-Cons that you know, come apart and all that, that's Nintendo's vision for the next 10 years. Ooh, you think all so? All the Nintendo weirdness of like, they're doing something crazy experimental. Switch allows for this because they can make new types of Joy-Cons for, like, Switch 2 and all that. So, like, they can kind of keep this model and still experiment a lot. It's kind of the perfect platform for Nintendo going forward because what's kind of nice about Nintendo Switch is that I can take it with me everywhere I go, but I can also play it at home. And it's such a perfect setup, I can't imagine them abandoning it and saying we're portable only now or we're home console only now. I just feel like hybrid is so unique to them, they're never going to let it go. And again, then it opens up for more experimentation later on. So kind of in the next decade, I feel like we're going to see a lot of crazy shit. Like, you know, think like ring cons for, you know, uh, um, ring fit adventure. Yeah. Like we're going to see those really weird experimental things. We're going to see uh, like the Boogaloo. Yeah, Labo and that kind of stuff. We're going to see more like Mario Kart Home Circuit kind of things that are extensions of Switch, but the base is still kind of always going to be Switch, I think. And I wouldn't be surprised. We're not doing like next, next decade, but like I wouldn't be surprised if even well into the next decade after that, it kind of remains their bread and butter, especially as mobile technology gets more advanced. They can do more with it. Um, Like SSD and that kind of stuff is fully capable of working inside of the switch form factor when it becomes cost effective. Like there's a lot of room for growth. And I think it's really going to remain largely the same. Do you remember four years ago, almost to the day when we were having discussions about, oh, man, when the switch comes out? They're going to be able to, oh, they're going to have so much possibility with the Joy-Cons. They're going to have GameCube games on the virtual console, and they're, you're going to be able to take it off, and they're going to have <laughs> split GameCube Joy-Cons that are the GameCube controller up, and four years later, here we are, and we have, like, yeah. tennis for NES on the virtual console. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that's a good prediction, yeah. though. I think that's, that's, you're right, they have a lot of room to explore, and, uh. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, you think they'll they'll have like replacement Joy-Con type things for the new experience, or do you think that they'll have like sure, yeah. a new console? But all, you could also use your old Joy Cons with it as well, with, like the equivalent of Wii Motion and Wii Motion Plus. Yeah, I think it's gonna be exactly like that. Where like they might say, "Hey, here's new Joy-Con Plus, and it has vitality sensors built into it." Like they can incorporate <laughs> those kind of technologies into the form factor that already exists. Um, so yeah, I feel like we're gonna we can definitely see stuff like that, and I. This also keeps in mind, too, like, we're going to see a Switch 2. It's just that Switch 2 is going to look like Switch 1. Yeah. Interesting. Nice, nice. My first prediction is that, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but the next big thing, so, like, graphics was a big thing for a long time, 
and now it's like SSD and loading and game design is a big thing now. I think the next big thing in technology 10 years from now will be NPC AI. The AI that that makes our enemies smarter. That's it's going no we're not going to have in open world games anymore. They're going to take like actual logical paths from one point to another. They're not going to like walk around and bump into railings and shit and they're not going to say, follow me while I talk on this quest. And they're going to walk at eight-tenths the speed of what you're supposed to walk at so that you have to, like, run a little bit and then slow down and then run a little bit. Mm-hmm. AI is going to get so much better. Their bodies are going to face the right way. They're going to have, like, canned dialogues during conversation. is going to be super smart and 100% natural, and they're not going to have to worry about that. And then I think another big part of it will be, uh, and this is foreshadowing my second prediction, but I won't mention the second one yet, is that lip syncing will get a whole lot better. And I think part of that's going to be because machine learning is going to automate based on sound, just whatever words the actors are speaking, they're going to be able to very quickly just map that to a mouth movement um, in a much more convincing and natural way because they still do that as like a base now for for voice, or for lip syncing. Cyberpunk has that, for example. Yeah, but right. it's, it's, in, it's rudimentary right now. Exactly. And they use that usually, especially for like cut scenes and things like that, they use that as a base and then they have artists go in and, and touch it up to actually make it look natural. But I think it's going to get so yeah. much better just automatically with machine learning over time. Mm-hmm. So that's it. My next prediction is in a similar wheelhouse where I was kind of like it, photorealism. This is for like next next gen. Like what's the thing that's going to like define next next gen? And I think that you're right. I think that kind of stuff is absolutely going to be happening. Like it's going to be with these like subtle things that make a big difference in terms of the believability of the world. And I kind of feel like looking at things like demon souls and how fucking incredible that looks and how like next gen games like on uh how unreal's meta human people like yeah. look and how realistic they look like we're i think we're kind of at this point of diminishing returns for approaching photorealism that if you really want to kind of get past it on candy valley you really want to um make the world more believable i think what you're saying is absolutely true that NPC AI is a huge part of that. I think another big part of that, too, is just realistic physics that much better replicate things like hair and how hair responds to, like, when things move about it and, like, really subtle things like that. Like, you're not going to see clipping and things like that where, you know, a character walks through a rock. Like, your character will respond and probably trip over that rock if you walk into a rock because they're going to look for these, like, very subtle uh, physics simulations to to respond to everything. I was watching this video that basically talked about how every object will kind of have a um, action-reaction mentality to it. So, like, when water flows somewhere, the water will react naturally to running through sand um, like it would in real life because they can, they can calculate now what would happen with sand and water colliding, whereas now it's some artist figured out a good way for it to look, but it's totally like for show. And I feel like we're going to get past that and worlds are going to feel more believable because it's not about how good it looks. It's going to be about how realistically the environment responds. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. So it's going to be good. Yeah. But that's like, that's PS6 stuff though. What's your next one? What's up? That was my next one. Oh, that we had oh, a very gotcha. similar. It was just very gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. My number yeah, two. Yeah, very, then, very similar. Yeah. Uh, kind of going off of that is that we're going to see machine learning take a much bigger role in future gaming experiences, 
Machine learning in general is like less than a decade old in its current form, and it's like super much in its infancy. Um, so we're just starting to see that in our phones and our computers and tablets and all that kind of stuff, but we're not really seeing it in games at all or in gaming consoles or even just things built for PC gaming. Um, so I have two kind of buckets that I think this is going to fall into. I think machine learning is going to first, um, it's going to enhance the experience by being, by learning about player inputs and kind of predicting a little bit better. So things like mm -hmm. if I happen to overshoot my target a lot, if, my, if I'm really twitchy with my joystick and I overshoot, auto-aim is going to be able to re recognize that, oh, Chad tends to go like, tends to overcompensate a little bit when he's aiming. So I'm going to tune the auto-aim automatically to account for that. So I think things like auto-aim will be better uh, and more accurate. Things like really difficult combos that are to pull off, like a lot of button presses or like weird ways you got to warp your fingers. If you consistently are missing it in a very specific way, it might just learn that and be like, you know what? I understand you're trying to do this combo. We're just going to make it happen for you. So it's like learning your behavior and your pattern over time. Mm -hmm. And then I also think that based on player inputs, they're going to be able to adapt like levels and enemy types in a couple of cool ways. Uh, one of them will be like, if they can recognize that you're doing the same strategy, like if, if, um, if you kill a certain type of enemy a certain way every single time, maybe they'll introduce some kind of challenge to make sure you have to kill it a different way this time, or there are less of them and more of a, a harder one. And that kind of goes into the next point here where it's, they're going to use it to provide the right amount of challenge at the right time. Right now, when a developer says, I want this to be really hard, they're going to like, they say, cool, I'm going to put in five guys with a lot of health that do a lot of damage and I'm going to make it really hard to get to them. And there's going to be all sorts of environment obstacles. But I think with machine learning in play, they can figure out what's hard to Chad. If Chad's figured out how to cheese a certain type of enemy, but he's really struggling with this type, maybe we'll throw in more of the other type. And now they just say, all right, on a scale of one to 10, I want this level to be an eight. And computer, you throw out whatever's an eight for Chad. And so I think that's kind of some cool ways that they could use machine learning to, to kind of yeah. adapt to you. I like the difficulty adaptation a lot. I think that's really, it would totally work. That makes it's it's kind of like how, and a lot of what you're talking about is kind of like how smart keyboards already kind of work, where it'll kind of learn how when you type in the keyboard to learn. Okay, well, when Chad hits his thumb over by the eye when he's typing this word, he really meant that word because we know based on how he how he talks to Holden or even versus like how you would talk to Dallas or Matt or Brent. Like your phone can already do that kind of thing. Um, bringing it to games, I think, makes a ton of sense. Um, I think it was Google was talking about with Project Stream. When they, before they even talked about Stadia, they were like, part of the way that we can get it to be responsive is by predicting what the player is going to want to push. Right. But that's simpler because you would know, like, the player's probably going to want to attack because there's an enemy in front of them. Right. What you're talking about is kind of like the next evolution of that, where it gets more complicated into nuances specifically geared towards like, your behavior. That's really interesting. I, I'm really curious, because I think you're right about like auto-aim and that kind of stuff. I'm really curious how the kind of souls-like people would respond to that, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. is that going to be seen as, like, can you turn it off, or is it just part of auto-aim, or is it baked into certain games, and then that's, like, a, you know, a stupid casual baby game because it, like, does things. <laughs> I'm kind of curious, like, what kind of conversations will will surround that. I think it's going to be a tool, like an API provided by PlayStation or provided by Xbox or whatever whatever's around in 10 years. Uh, the developers can take advantage of, but it's it's absolutely something that you can put in your games, but you don't necessarily have to. 
Yeah. But the second thing that I think on a, uh, about machine learning is not only is it going to be able to like predict things based on your inputs, but also it'll be able to offer you on a system level conveniences based on habitual behavior. So that might mean, like for instance, right now, every single day almost at 9 p.m., I hop on my PS5, I open Destiny, I go to the game chat, I hop in the Fireteam chat, and I go, or sorry, I go, with Dallas and Matt. And if my PS5 can learn at 9 p.m., go ahead and turn itself on, and as soon as it gets to the home screen, there's a little notification that says, press the PlayStation button, and we'll automatically launch Destiny, put you in this group, and join voice chat. Just based on, you know, habits and, and normal behavior. So I think, like, you're going to see conveniences like that. You're going to see... Um, Right now, you can schedule game downloads during times that, like, I wanted to download things and updates between 4 and 6 a.m. when I'm not awake. But I think it's going to be able to get a lot more personal as well. So, like, if it notices that you're up till 6 in the morning playing games, but then you also happen to be sleeping until 12, maybe it'll save that for, like, a less congested traffic time or something like that. But the last cool thing that I think, like, we might be able to see, this is a, a total, like, it's one of those you, you look at the future and like, what if AI could do this? But I think what they're close already. If they can proactively suggest, for instance, imagine a world where it's like 10, 15, this is not real life because this was, okay, it's midnight. It knows that I usually sign off from gaming around 12, 15 or 12, 30. And your PlayStation can say, hey, you have about 15 minutes before bedtime. There's a trophy over here in Spider-Man that we think, based on your play style, will take you about 11 minutes to get. Do you want to try and get this before you go to bed? And we're like, fuck yeah, I do. Because you know exactly how my play style is in Spider-Man. You know exactly what I can do. And I'm done with this game right now, but I still have like 30 minutes before I'm ready for bed. I think those types of experiences would be super great. Or, hey, you're right before the end of this game, and it's going to take you 20 minutes to get through that mission. Do you want to go ahead and do that before you go to bed? And I think they're close, you know, but it's not in a machine learning way right now, where if you look at the activity cards on PlayStation, and it's like, this mission, you're 35% of the way through it. It's going to take you 15 more minutes. But that's very much a, you look at it, and it's like, I have to go there and say, oh, how long is this? Oh, it's that much. Uh, I want it to proactively say, hey, we think you can do this. You want to finish it? I'm like, fuck, yeah, I do. Or not even in the game I'm in. It's like, hey, Little Big Planet, you haven't played that in a while, but this trophy is really easy and it'll get you closer to the platinum. I'm like, fuck yeah, I want that. That'd be dope. So that's my whole machine learning bubble prediction. Boom. My next one is about Bethesda. <gasps> oh my God. There's been a lot, been a lot of scuttlebutt about... I owe us 198 of these. <laughs> There's been a lot of scuttlebutt and kind of conflicting messages from the executives at um, Bethesda and Microsoft about what this means and all that kind of stuff. We've heard everything. Here's what I think is going to happen. Games will still continue to release on PS5 through 2022. And then after that, everything will be an Xbox exclusive game, meaning that it's available on Xbox Series X, Series S, whatever the generations that come out after that are, it'll be available on PC. And if you are a PlayStation user and you want that game, you can get it through the cloud and you don't have to buy an Xbox for it. But Microsoft still gets that 30% cut that they wouldn't have had to give Sony. And that's how they're going to get people into their ecosystem. Because a lot of their language has been around... 
you know, we think gamers should be able to play games regardless of where they are, no matter what the screen. And the way they talk about their Bethesda acquisition is very, very similar to um, to how they talk about just Xbox Game Pass and xCloud to begin with. Like, when I look at the kind of things they're saying, it doesn't scream to me PlayStation. It screams to me just like they've been talking about with Game Pass and xCloud this entire time. And it seems like that's the direction they want to go into. But I think they recognize two things. One is that there's kind of a hesitation amongst the gaming community on this because it it just does kind of feel weird. It would be as if Nintendo started releasing games on other consoles or if Rockstar didn't release GTA V on every console. It'd be that kind of like seismic shift of like, whoa, like we got to comprehend this. Yeah. So they need to ease people into it. So, like, maybe if Starfield's coming out in the next two years, like, maybe that's going to be um, on both consoles. But after that, it's all going to be within the Xbox ecosystem. Um, and that's just the way that it's going to be. That's um, the way that's the cookie I think will is going to happen with that. That's the way the cookie will crumble. I don't think they bought $7.5 billion worth of Bethesda to not keep it for themselves in some capacity. Um I think they would lose money by keeping on PlayStation. Had a really yes, dumb- people would buy it on PlayStation, but they'll make more money if they keep it in their own ecosystem. Someone will use xCloud to play Elder Scrolls Six. They just will. That game is too huge. I had a really dumb thought right now for a second that I immediately discounted, but I would love to know your opinion on it. Do you think that they might have that they might buy Bethesda for the talent and abandon some of the IPs and maybe just use that team to make something brand new that's Microsoft only? That's possible too. Like, do you need another with Wolfenstein game for right now, at least in the near future? Why not have those guys work on an Indiana Jones game just for Xbox users um, and that kind of stuff? I feel like, yeah, I think that would make sense because they need to kind of find their identity. And Bethesda's really good at creating games with identity and charm and uniqueness um, to them. They're an incredibly unique developer, for better or worse. <laughs> but overall, like their their companies offer a lot of really unique experiences. So I don't think that I think it's totally valid. Yeah, but I don't um, there's I don't no way they're thought. gonna say, hey, let's forget about the Fallout IP or the Elder Scrolls IP for a little bit. Oh, there's no. no way they're gonna abandon those. No, they won't abandon those, but they might say, we don't need Dishonored. We don't need Dishonored anymore. Or we don't need the Ghostwire game. Like well, that's fine. Deathloop, it was a one off. Yeah. Let's have those guys work on something new just for us now. Um, and I guess the kind of final point on this, when Phil Spencer talked about um, we'll look at PlayStation games on a case-by-case basis, I think he's really just looking at things like Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo. They were already announced for PlayStation 5. In that case, it's still going to come to PlayStation 5. Um, that still totally fits their case-by-case basis. And the other part of it is if you know Starfield comes out within the next, you know, before the end of 2022, it comes out on PlayStation 5. If they release DLC for that game, it's going to come to the PlayStation 5 as well because they're not going to cut users out of that. Like, they're not they're, they're not going to be assholes about it, but eventually... <laughs> we can be Eventually, famous. we're going to want to become famous according to this really weird spam message So, yeah. To simplify the prediction, again, PS5 will still get Bethesda games through 2022. After that, their games will be exclusive to um, to Xbox. Nice, nice, nice. I think that is spot on. Apply directly to the forehead. Uh, my number three. Number three prediction of four. These are much less detailed than my first two were. Is that I don't think a decade from now, cloud gaming will be a normal thing. 
Like, it will not be the norm. It's not going to replace console gaming. It's not even come anywhere close. It's still going to be a completely yep. niche way to play games. But I do think that Amazon and Microsoft are going to be the two kind of major players with server technology and delivery infrastructure. Um, like, we already know Sony's partnering with Microsoft for that kind of thing. I think Amazon, you know, doing AWS and and they're going to be another major player for that as other companies branch out and try to do streaming. But I... D- this is, I know, controversial. I don't think Google and Stadia are going to stick around in any major way a decade from now in a way that's disruptive. I think Amazon's going to branch out for sure, and they're, yeah. they are taking the slower approach to mm-hmm. gaming in general, but I think Google's not going to be in there in a major way. Yeah, um, that was my fifth prediction, but I had the same exact prediction. It's, I just can't imagine that... Like, there's kind of two style of gamer, I feel. There's us kind of console you know, hardcore gamers, if you will. And then there's the mobile kind of more casual gamers. And I feel like the way Stadia was pushing for cloud was more of this, like, how do we get the mobile gamers to want to play console games? And I'm like, I don't... that I think that's kind of like saying, how do we get someone who loves art house films to go see Transformers? Like, it's <laughs> yeah. just they're different. Like, are people who like YouTube videos only and don't watch TV and movies and just do YouTube? Like, how do we get them to go to the movies? They'll do that if it's available on the service. Like, no, they're just different types of games and they're separate. And I feel like someone who is kind of in our wheelhouse of games, we already want to buy these consoles. We want the local experience. We want the highest fidelity at convenience and that shift is it could happen in in a few decades but it's not going to happen in this decade there's just no way even the adoption of 5g and then i totally agree with you on um amazon and microsoft being kind of the top players before stadia came out i was kind of with i was kind of like okay google can be there too but they've they're just faltering when they close their first party studios i'm like you had to invest in this early Amazon's losing like $500 million a year investing in this because they're playing a super long game on this one and they will make it up. Um, But yeah, I think you're right. That was my fifth prediction. So I was just kind of throwing it in there. So because it's the same thing. Well, do your last one. I completely 100% agree with you. Do it. Um, My last one is kind of similar to the cloud gaming, but it's with VR. VR will continue to have fantastic gems. Um, But it's not going to come close to mainstream adoption within the next decade. PSVR 2 is going to be a big improvement. Just like the PSVR 1, it's going to be the dominant VR headset at the time. But there's no way it breaks higher than 25% adoption rate. And that's being really liberal. Like, I think it it might not even break, like, 15 or 20% adoption. I just don't think it's going to be this huge thing that is so much better and gets so so much better adoption. Um, than the PSVR one. I think it's going to be really cool. It's going to have some great stuff, good games. We'll wonder every year, is this the year where VR takes off? It's never going to happen this decade. I, but it will still be a thing. I have a, a similarly themed one, but mine is a little bit of a different take. I think mixed reality gaming will become mainstream. And I don't think mainstream in the mainstream. way that, like it's going to be as popular as console gaming or video game or mobile gaming. But I think that right now... Yeah. If you think about, if you ask someone, do you know anyone with a VR headset? Then they they can probably name one person, maybe two. But I think can you define reality, what you mean by mixed reality, though? Yeah, so like, I don't. You're talking, like, there's nothing Go, specific yet, but mixed or, reality is augmented okay. reality, virtual reality, some kind of blend of the two. But something you're gonna you're gonna know, you know, Google Glass, whatever the whatever the next version of this thing is in the next ten years, even if it's just AR on your phone in your in your real life space, but. 
some version of mixed reality gaming is going to become mainstream. Um, mm -hmm. And you're going to go from knowing like a person or two like, oh, yeah, I think so-and-so has like, uh, I don't know, a Facebook headset or like, what do they call it? An Oculus? People are going to then be like, oh, yeah, like all my friends have this. And and so-and-so has a VR headset and he loves this game. And this person has a headset and she loves this game. Like it's going to be mainstream in that way that everybody knows what it is, understands what it is. Yeah. And it's going to be a, a major market. But I think it's going to be separate from – I think it's going to be like, you know, there's television, there's movies, there's gaming, there's mixed reality. I think it's going to be its own kind of separate thing Interesting. Uh, outside of gaming. So almost kind of like – like for example, like my mom likes board games. But cleaning up the mess can be really frustrating. But because she has – Apple glasses or something like that. She can now play her board games through Apple glasses and just moving pieces around the table as if they were really there, but they're not there. Like that kind of. Yeah, that's uh, kind of thing could be an application of it. Yeah, it could also be like traditional, like maybe just we have a super powered Oculus headset that that is straight up just VR, but it's just like so much more. The battery life is 20 hours instead of two. And it has like parity with really great PCs being completely wireless like whatever it is we're going to strike the right balance and it's going to it's going to hit mm -hmm. okay that's it that's all my that's all my those predictions. are <laughs> those are all of our predictions for the next decade of gaming but we got two more predictions from pixel street podcast as well as fresh takes gaming podcast Fresh Takes Gaming Chat is kind of on with you on this whole machine learning AI thing, but they're going to take it to the next level. They think that all podcasters will be replaced by AI hosts. And here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. What do you think this show is? We're not real people. This is the first AI hosted This is the evolution podcast. of and Final Fantasy Spirits Within. And they said, all actors are going to be replaced by these CGI actors. <laughs> this is it right now. Yeah, we're a CGI AI run podcast. We're not even real people. That's the power of the internet, everyone. So, like, Freshness Gaming, we're a little ahead of you there. We figured it out. We broke the code. And we just hope that it can inspire and we see more podcasts just like ours in the future. Pixel Street said, there will be a civil war between Pixel Street and Respawn Aim Fire. It will be a long war, and many bystanders will be hurt. Only one can come out on top of the... Oh. You said video games. Um, well, we might get like a Mario game or something like that. <laughs> We're on to you, Pixel Street. We're on to you. We see what you're doing there. Can you imagine if we didn't get a Mario watch game your, this decade? Watch though? your back, Pixel Street. <laughs> <laughs> Where we say it, Can you Sorry, imagine if we you. didn't get a Mario, like a like a full 3D sequel Mario, like Galaxy Odyssey? If we didn't get one of those this decade. <laughs> That would be hilarious if the next Mario game became like Half-Life 3 and like Nintendo refused to talk about it and they would never <laughs> say anything. <laughs> and it became the joke thing like, guys, this year we're going to get a Mario game and it's like 2029 and still hasn't happened yet. That'd be hilarious. Gabe Newell's still going to be tweeting about it. Speaking of Mario, because I think that's going to be the dominant conversation in our playtime this week. We're in playtime. Chad. Tell us about Destiny 2 first, and then we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Mario, it looks all right, like. All right, all right. Destiny 2, very quick update. Uh, I told you last week and the week before probably that I'm the kind of person now who's cool enough to raid every single weekend. 
um, <laughs> or week in general, because we started on a Wednesday the other week. Uh, we did it again this week, and spur of the moment, we're just like, hey, what's going on tomorrow? Anyone want to raid? Yeah, we do. Great. Get together at 9 p.m. Guess what, Holden? Two weeks ago. What? The Deepstone Crypt raid took us about seven and a half hours over two days. Last week, the Deepstone Crypt raid took us about four and a half hours. So we, we cut our time almost in half. This Ooh. week, one hour and 40 minutes. Wow. Boom. And one night, one sitting. We beat the first encounter Speed's on our first increased try. by machine learning developments. That's right. Our brains are learning. <laughs> this was also, what's, what's great about this time is that this was the first time that we've done it with six people who have all done the raid before. Like two weeks ago, we had to introduce two new people to it. Last week, we had to introduce another new person to it. This week, we were like, we're all pros, yo. And it paid off. I remember last year, not even last year, it was, it was uh, October, September and October, sitting there doing the moments of triumph and looking in there. I was like, what does it cost to get a seal? And it's like, oh, you got to get 18 triumphs. And I look at the triumphs. I was like, complete this raid, complete this raid, complete this raid. I was like, well, fuck. I'm never getting any of those. Look at me now, mom. <laughs> hour and 40 minutes and it's only going to get better and i have a full set of the deep stone crypt armor and i look fucking badass but the armor itself is like the rolls on it are not really great so i'm not gonna wear it right now but when transmog becomes a thing i'm gonna look so fucking cool so that's it destiny 2 still going still great papa john's so you were looking good in destiny 2 i have a very important question for you chad were you looking good in a cat suit in super mario 3d world so here's the thing my birthday came around. It was Wednesday. Thank you, everyone, for all the wonderful tweets about happy birthday. Oh, wait, there were none of them. But I did get a lot of text messages, so thank you. Thank you, lifelong friends, for the text messages. <laughs> um, but I need a, a public display of affection so that people understand that I'm loved. It's not enough for just me to know. I need the world to know. Just kidding. Anyway, so... Can I... I just... I do need to say this. I, I have talked to Nintendo, because I sent Chad a text on his birthday, and I'm like, hey, man... You Don't worry, I made sure that Nintendo's going to be... Yeah, I said... Well, I didn't lie. Nintendo lied to me. I said, <laughs> hey, man, don't worry. I got the word in for you and Nintendo. They said they're going to announce Donkey Kong Country sequel for you today. And you were like, ah, yes. And then Nintendo fucked with me. Made me look like a damn fool. <laughs> On my birthday. Uh, so I was, I was here. My mom had to go get her phone fixed because it completely died. And so while she was gone, I was here with the kids, uh, teaching them school and stuff like that. And then right afterwards, I was like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not work for a couple hours. I'm going to download Super Mario 3D World, and we're going to play four-player Super Mario with three people under the age of 10. Um, and it was a blast. It was a blast, Holden. I didn't even care that I was a cat mm -hmm. because I, was, I, couldn't even, <laughs> I couldn't even tell where my character was most of the time. So I, couldn't, I didn't give a hectic. fuck that he was shaped like a cat. It's really hectic. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there were four of us on the screen. I think it does a really great way of dealing with having four characters in a 3D space like that, all on the same like console on the same screen. Um, it was great. It was it was a blast of a time. I can't wait. We beat two worlds in about an hour together, uh, and even having like a five year old and a six year old trying to dodge Bowser's bombs that he's throwing while kicking them back at his car and all that shit. Like it was it was so much fun. So I'm very excited to to play the rest of it. Again, the cats are not as bad as you think, everyone.
Super Mario 3D World is worth. Oh, just wait till you get to Bowser's Fury and there's cats everywhere. I might not play a Bowser's Fury because it's it's a one slash maybe one and a half player game, and as you just said right now, there are more cats. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's my 3D um, World experience I too, so far. I too played Mario 3D World a little bit more. I just wanted to expand on my thoughts on Bowser's Fury a little bit. Um, and then I also played a lot more Mario games, so we'll talk about all, all that as well. Um, so, all right, 3D World, I am... I, I 100% completed Bowser's Fury last week. Right. I had just finished it right before we started recording, and I was a little high on the experience at that point. And after settling on it for a day, I recorded a uh, spoiler chat review with it with uh, John Hansen on Pixel Street Podcast, and I kind of tempered down a little bit at that point. John kind of brought up some good points, and we kind of go... Okay, so like last week when we recorded, I think I was kind of saying Bowser's Fury, this is the direction I want the next Mario game to go in. Right. Um, woo, Bowser's Fury. And then John Carroll's good points. I'm like, yeah. Like, I would be excited if they announced it, but I'd also be excited if they announced a new, like, Odyssey 2 type game. I'd also be excited if they announced a 3D World 2 like style <laughs> game. Like, I just kind of feel like I'd just be happy with any form of Mario game. Um, I'm just kind of open for any of it. Just give me any of it, and I think I'm going to be happy at this point. Um, So I still really liked Bowser's Fury, but I was definitely too high in it last week. Things have settled, and I'm like, that was a really good experience. I would like to see them expand on that and see what they can do with it. But if they announce 3D World 2, Odyssey 2, I'm happy with that too. So that's kind of my update on that game. 3D World itself, though, I really do feel like it's an underrated Mario game, and more people need to play that. I thought it was fucking phenomenal especially when you get further into it and the platforming gets more challenging and all that it's really great so i just got on a mario frenzy this week tell i jumped into yeah i jumped into captain toad treasure tracker um and i'm gonna try to 100 complete that game oh you're um, not even waiting act, for barf I've, okay yeah i'm just gonna do it because i'm really really enjoying it um that it's just charming and adorable and fun and i love it and it's great um there is one little thing that I'm like, ugh, it's overkill. And that's that every level has, like, three diamonds to get. They have, like, an extra ch- bonus challenge to do, and then there's just completing the level. But there's also an additional challenge, which is called the Pixel Toad Challenge, where you have to basically turn, rotate the levels around and find this little Pixel Toad who's hiding the level somewhere. And some of these are ridiculously well hidden and I'm literally spending more time just listening for the um, captain a little pixel toad because you'll kind of hear him going all right or something like that like somewhere in the map as you get close to me you'll start hearing it and I'm doing it because I want to 100% complete it but I'm not going to lie it's kind of not the greatest experience Yes. And you, the rest the, of the game The other is shitty better. thing is that you can't get those on your first run through. Like, you have to beat the level and then come back yeah. to the level to get it. So you have to play every level at least yep. twice. Yeah, yeah. So, but I'm still enjoying the game overall. I think it's a really clever, nice game. Nice game. I beat... It's a nice game. I beat Super Mario Galaxy. Ooh! Not even waiting for Barf on this one either. Damn! I just beat it, and I'm not going to open it back up again, and I'm kind of glad that Super Mario Galaxy 2 is not in the collection because I would have felt pressured to play it. And I don't know if Galaxy is... It's on on the bottom of my list. Not all the way in the bottom, but it's towards the bottom of my list of Mario games overall. Very close to the bottom. Um, Here's the thing. You start playing that game, and it's like, whoa. 
I have never played a Mario game like this before. You're running around the planets. When you fight Bowser, you knock his shell around, and it goes around the planet, and you have to hit it back the other way. And, like, they, they do some really cool stuff with it. But there's – this is a weird thing to say. There's so much variety in the types of worlds that they offer, but there are some worlds that are just garbage, <laughs> that are just, like, not good. There's this desert world where you warp up into the, or you spin up into this tornado, and it spins you up, and you go, "Ooh, that's a pig up there," or whatever you said earlier. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we got cows. <laughs> we got cows. No, you spin up in the tornado, and Mario just like hardly moves, and he moves so slow, and I'm like, "This is painful. This is so fucking painful." There's other parts where, like at times, they handle the camera angles really well where you can still control Mario really well even though he's like upside down or something like that but then there are some where dear lord it feels like it's impossible to control Mario as he's on a moving platform that is going up and then upside down or like to the side then upside down and the back normal again and I'm like it just starts to become a little bit too much when the difficulty starts scaling and when I beat the game I'm like great cool I got 60 stars I don't need anything more than that I'm done you know, it's not horrible. Obviously, a bad Mario game is still a really good game overall, yeah. but I'm like, of the Mario games, of the 3D Mario games, I think the only reason I would put this above um, Super Mario 64 is because I feel like this game was more clever with the risks that it took, and I just have to appreciate that. Um, but I wonder like, if it's one of those things that, like, that really bugged me. You just missed, you just missed it. Like it was, it was a thing of yeah, like if you'd have played it at the time, you would have appreciated it so much more. But I wonder if it's just like, oh, I've played so many other things in the, I don't know, fifteen years since that game came out. Absolutely, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm now in the middle of playing Super Mario Sunshine, and I really, really like Super Mario Sunshine, um, but. Um, most levels are really fun and really enjoyable and I found to be pretty clever and I liked exploring them and kind of figuring out like what is what is the challenge I have to do in this specific, you know, um, iteration of this world. When you kind of go in, there's like each world is like eight iterations for eight different challenges in each little like part of the world. Um, but there are some that suck. They're <laughs> <and are> just <laughs> like really fucking frustrating. There is one I'm doing right now, and I'm just going to stop doing it because I'm, I'm done banging my head against a wall. But you basically have to take a watermelon and find the biggest watermelon on the map and then roll it to um, this one dude who's at the end of a, um, at the end of a, uh, a, like a platform above the water. So it's like this little narrow platform you have to get it to. A dock, yeah. It's not quite a dock because you're not like putting like boats and shit, but yeah, it's a dock. Um, and um, that's not even the hard part. The hard part is there are all these little stupid, you know, mechanical bird things that are walking along the beach and they are fucking everywhere. And if they see you, they'll throw you up into the sky. But there are so many of them. They'll throw you up in the sky. You'll land right next to another one. And then they'll throw you up into the sky before you even have the opportunity to get up and move away. So it's just like I literally I'll just put the controller down. I'm like, it's over. It's done. <laughs> I can't even hit start to like reset the map or anything like that because you can't pause when you're in the air. So I'm like, fuck this. Like, it's so frustrating. Um, I just gave up. Because they can also throw the watermelon up into the um, up into the sky and then it'll pop when it hits the ground, which is such fucking bullshit. <laughs> if they, they literally, there are so many of them, they could cut the number of them down by half and there might still be too many of them. Like, it's 
unbelievably frustrating. So I'm like, cool, I don't need to do that one. But that I'm just kind of sour on that one particular level. There are some levels that are fantastic, like really smart platforming. Like I just did one, actually oddly enough, in that same um, part of the island, but it's called the Sandbird. Did, did you play Sunshine? No, I didn't. I played the first like 10 minutes okay. of it when this came out, but that's it. Okay. There's um, this level called the Sandbird, and it plays off the idea of the eight coins. You have to collect eight red coins in the level. Like, Super Mario 64 had similar levels. Um, but all of them are on top of this Sandbird that is flying in the sky. So it's like its wings are f- um, are flapping all over the place. It'll veer off and make turns, and you have to, like, navigate on top of this the Sandbird and, and get like all Shadow of them. Sounds like Shadow of the Colossus. And then you... It is, yeah. <laughs> it's it, like, imagine Shadow of the Colossus, but it's like a platforming challenge. It's really good. And then you realize oh, there were only seven of them on the bird itself. I have to wait for the bird to get up to the top. So then it becomes just a challenge of um, staying on the bird as it's doing these moves. That was a really good level. I loved that level. Um, really, really good stuff. Overall, I think what I like about Sunshine is just the aesthetic of it. Um, I like the environment. It's just so specific. Whereas I feel like Mario games try to create this this odyssey if you will pun totally oh. intended where you're going across multiple areas like you go to the fire area the water area all that and this is just we have one large area it's isle delfino and oh, there's Bahama different shirt, parts of that margaritaville playing yeah, in the background you, <laughs> exactly what you do the entire game and everything is centered around that tropical premise, and it's just such a specific Mario game that I'm like, this is actually kind of cool. It has a very different feeling, and it controls really well. The camera gets some shit, but I don't know, for a GameCube, excuse me, for a GameCube game, I didn't think it was that bad. I think the camera's better than it was in Galaxy and 64, but that's not a surprise because that was N64. Um, so I, just, I, I think it's a really good Mario game. I like that one a lot. Um that's a lot of Mario talk. Sorry about that. Done with Mario. <laughs> I'm celebrating Zelda's 35th anniversary by talking and playing nothing but Mario. <laughs> um, I also played Project Triangle Strategy, which is might be the worst name for a game yep. ever. And we also thought Project Octopath really Traveler was terrible, too. So. <laughs> that one grew on me, yeah, but that one wasn't awesome either. But that one, that one at least grew on me. I can't imagine Triangle Strategy is going to... <laughs> It just sounds like some weird sex position or something like that. <laughs> um, it it's I don't want to spend too much time on this because I just ranted a lot about Mario, but like it's good. This I is like the demo it. of the it game they showed like off great... at the Nintendo Direct, right? Oh yeah, I should have prefaced it. Yeah, it's the kind of um, aesthetic sequel to Octopath Traveler. Different style game, but same kind of visual HD two D HD or HD two D style of Octopath Traveler. And um, it makes me just want to go back and try to play Octopath Traveler again because I love that art style so much. But the the tactical combat in this, I'm a fan of tactical games like that. Not like a super fan, but I do enjoy them. And this has kind of felt like a pretty standard tactical game where I'm like, I'm not really seeing much unique, um, not, not too much that's unique in it that I w- am compelled to even do the second half of the demo. Yeah. Um, but if it starts getting good reviews, I might check it out. Um, 
one like small thing I did like about it was when there's so many characters, but whenever a character is talking, you can hit the profile button and it'll just give you like a they are the lord of like oh, this kingdom nice. or they are and I'm like that's actually kind of a nice way. Like imagine watching Game of Thrones and you can just like be like that guy again, who's that guy? It was a second screen experience with Xbox Smart Glass where you could watch Game of Thrones was there? and on your tablet it would tell you, "Oh, this is the king of blah blah blah." And it would show you a map of where their kingdom lives while you were watching the show. Even more in depth than this game. That, and I think that's nice for a game that has different kingdoms and many characters that populate those kingdoms with different political interests, that kind of stuff. So, like, that was, that's a nice touch. I like that, especially in a 2D game where it might be harder to tell who they are because they're a pixel character. Right. So, there are some good things in there for sure. But I just overall think it, that's not uh, for me. And that's our playtime this week. Play we are time, an hour and 20 time. minutes in. But we already had our game on game roughly. show. So this is true. Keep yeah. that in mind. We're moving into our main quest now. We have a lot to talk about in the, main, in the quest log, though. Um, starting off with, I love the story. From the Microsoft quest log, new Microsoft program could help devs make more games ex- make games more accessible, says Ian Walker at Kutaku. A new team at Microsoft will be able to analyze games and give developers feedback in any accessibility additions that could be um, covered and just to kind of improve the games overall so that they are more accessible to more people, essentially, which is awesome. It's so great. Uh, Feedback can include examples of areas for improvement and an explanation to help guide developers. Notably, the team will include gamers with differing accessibility needs to ensure real-world use cases are considered. Chad. This is super Why do you love this? No, I I love this a lot. Obviously, accessibility is is part of inclusion, making sure everyone can game, which is cool. Microsoft's leading the way with Mm -hmm. the adaptive controller. They had the accessibility yeah. guidelines, which you've been talking a lot for, for quite a while about how accessibility should fall on the platform makers, not necessarily on the developers. And I think this is a little bit of a step towards that. Like They had the guidelines, like this is what it means to make an accessible game. But they've gotten a lot of feedback mm-hmm. over it, and they, alongside this, they refined their guidelines to make them give more of a reason why you would want to implement these types of things, which is important. So it's not just like, you need to put captions in here. It's like, this is why it's important for you to put captions in there. And this is, this is how it helps people. So it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but this is also like, it's gotta be a, a tremendous effort from Microsoft's part, like man hours wise, person hours wise of allowing developers to submit their games and Microsoft employees play them and say, Hey, your implementation of this was a little lacking here and you could do this better. And I noticed you didn't have any color blindness uh, accommodations. And these are some suggestions like, that's a lot of work yeah. for a platform holder like that to do, um, which I think is really exciting that they're taking that responsibility upon themselves rather than just saying, here's a guideline, do it or else. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's not an or else kind of thing. Absolutely. It's just like, yeah. do it because it matters. And if you don't, there's no punishment. But like, we want you to do this. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really thrilled about this because um, I think that if – especially with Microsoft's mantra of, you know, kind of games are for everyone and kind of opening up the doors for everyone. This is really great to see. And, and yeah, you call that exactly what I was going to say, which is that I've been saying for a long time now that th- we shouldn't be putting this pressure on individual developers. We need to put this pressure on the major platform holders to create tools. And I, I was thinking on the lines of like APIs and 
things in the software toolkits for Xbox or PlayStation or Nintendo to help with this. And I still think that conversation needs to happen. I didn't anticipate this, and this is a brilliant idea. Like, this is really, really smart. And it's really ballsy of them to do, because like you were saying, too, like, this isn't a profit-based thing. They're not going to make money off of this. This is just they want to do something good. And that's awesome to to see. Um, I'm very curious if they'll start to put this into the review process for the game. Because like when you submit a game for Xbox, they'll test it out, make sure it doesn't crash and stuff. I wonder if this will merge into that at some point and just kind of they'll just give developers an accessibility report and say, like, hey, your game crashed this way. We also have concerns that like, you know, it might not be colorblind accessible, like that kind of stuff. Uh, maybe it'll delve into that eventually. Um, but this is an awesome, awesome step. And I really, really hope that other companies take this on as well um we will we will see um but yeah this is just this is the way this This is is the the way way. i like too that this is um i don't know this this could be i I doubt it's gonna have a huge impact but for a lot of times like ubisoft or other developers would like reach out to specific individuals to say hey can i get your opinion on our build of this game and how like people who had certain types of disabilities and say, is this accessible? How can we improve this? I wonder if, if this will be the big box version. Like this is Walmart moving into a small town with a bunch of individuals who make their money by consulting for Ubisoft. And now Microsoft's like, nope, <laughs> come through our process. And said, I doubt that's going to have pretty much any impact. If anything, they might even partner. With them. <laughs> who knows? Yeah. It's also, this helps... This helps too because one of the one of the kind of concerns I had with the approach of putting this the impetus on the developer to resolve accessibility issues was that it's really hard to predict the accessibility needs of every person who's going to be playing this game, and this is going to help developers seek out solutions that they never would have thought of. Yeah. So it just yeah, it's great. It's good stuff. This next story in the Sony Quest Log is interesting. Um, I was, this was brought to my attention, and I didn't even hear about this. It was, it was, a friend brought this to my attention last night. I think this is weird. Um, kind of, you, I'll, I'll explain the story and I'll tell you why I think it's weird. Um, PS5 APU breakdown reveals that some Zen 2 FPU parts are missing, says um, Michael Herodens at um, PlayStation Universe. Twitter user um, Fritz Fritz took a picture of the APU, which is the accelerated processing unit. It basically just means you're combining a CPU and a GPU onto a single chip. Um, they noticed that there were missing components from a, a factory Zen 2 chip. Um, that's just the summary of the story. But I was noticing when looking into this that there are a lot of outlets and a lot of people responding in comments to these outlets saying, Oh my gosh! Certain PlayStation Fives are missing components inside of them, and I'm <laughs> like that is n- that's what I thought when I first read the headline. I was like, "What is mine missing yeah, a piece?" It's, it's, <laughs> it's really a confusing like, headline, and it's very, but it's not what's happening. This is really straightforward. This just basically means when they say they have a custom RDNA chip in there. They had an RDNA, RDNA 2 chip and said, hey, we don't need all of the features of this RDNA 2 chip, so we're going to save money by having a customized version of it that doesn't include those parts. Right. They've been saying this for since, like, July of last year, 
Uh, they've been saying this kind of stuff. Like there was a PlayStation engineer who came out and said, like, it's between our DNA one and our DNA two. That's all this means. This isn't anything to be worried about. It's just totally fine. Yeah. Essentially, <laughs> you're, if you think you're not like missing components. The, hey, we have a chip that you can use on a variety of different types of devices. And when you put it in a PC, you're going to need to do a lot of different types of things with it other than just play games and watch videos. Yeah. And then with a PlayStation, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I don't need to make sure this can run all sorts of different types of programs that are meant to do like all sorts of different types of things. So let's work with this hardware or let's work with this chip manufacturer to say, hey, can we take out some of those things and reduce the cost a little bit so we can make our PlayStation a little less expensive? And like, cool, great. That's all that means. It's not that, yeah. oh and my God, is- these are shipping without pieces of your processor in it yeah and this is not even just common to video games this is like for example whenever apple makes their own processors they're really taking a guideline of um of arm chips and then customizing the guideline for their own needs it's a little bit different because it's like arm is open-ended whereas amd is a closed system but it's the same kind of idea like this happens with if you want to partner with Samsung to make a chip or Texas Instruments to make a chip, you go to them, you kind of see the catalog of what they have to offer, and then customize from there. Um, it's just extremely, extremely common. I just thought this was an interesting story. I just wanted to bring it up for, for that reason. Um, it's interesting. Um, so your PlayStation 5 is totally fine. It's not missing anything. It's just the way our Lord and Savior Sony decided to make it. <laughs> And we saw all inside of it already uh, from Astrobot, and we know that it's beautiful in whatever way that it manifests itself. <laughs> uh, Nintendo Quest Log here. Before we get to the Nintendo Direct, last week we talked about the Nintendo Concierge Service, and we both wanted to contact the Concierge Service to see if they actually offered good recommendations or not. I didn't do that. I didn't Chad, either. Did you do no. That? I didn't. But Rebecca yeah. Valentine but okay and her new gig at IGN did. Exactly. Um, This is good work by her. This is a good article. She said, Nintendo's new concierge service gives surprisingly great game recommendations. It's a long article. We're going to cover some of the things in here, but I recommend checking it out because this actually was cool to see. Um, So basically, Rebecca made herself known as a journalist with the intention of understanding Nintendo's new offering right off the bat when talking to her Nintendo representative. She did the getting started uh, option or getting started or I'm sorry, choose your next game option for Um, scheduling an appointment with them. She found that despite coming in with a lot of knowledge on Switch, um, she specifically calls out reviewing the console a lot and playing 500 hours of Animal Crossing. Like She knows her shit, and she definitely does. Um, She had an expectation that she would just be recommended Mario, and she would kind of know everything. But she left with with strong personalized recommendations based on her 30-minute interaction. It's worth mentioning that the representative recommended game demos. So basically him kind of saying, hey, like, you should try these games out before buying them and see what works for you. And basically just didn't Rebecca didn't kind of seem like there was this expectation that or this um, pressure from the person on the other line to like buy a game. It wasn't necessarily about that. It was literally just about offering recommendations and leaving it at that. There was no push for a sale or anything like that. It sounded like it was a really good experience. Yeah. So I think it's awesome to hear. And I liked that they like it's it's a video chat as we talked about last week and he even had the option yeah. to like share his switch screen with her and they sat there she's like mm-hmm. oh yeah and we went to the demo section of the store which i didn't realize was as robust as it is and we just went down the list together and he pointed out games and then he even got to like oh i know you said dragon quest isn't your jam but i think dragon quest builders might be there's a demo of that you should download that mm-hmm. and she left with like a whole sticky note for, full of things that she hadn't thought about going into it that she was excited about mm-hmm. yeah um 
a lot of companies doing things not for profit based that work. So this kind of is more profit. This is much more profit based than <laughs> Microsoft's deal. But like, it's just cool that they're not using this as a sales platform. It looks like they're really just using this as information for consumers. That's awesome. I have no problem with that. What I didn't understand until I read this is that according to her and her experience, this is only available in January and February. Like, it's not a thing that they yeah. have planned so far to continue. Hopefully, I sense. hope they continue to do it. Yeah, because I know I probably wouldn't use it. I think it's a great resource for a lot of people. So especially with the, with the switch growing, yeah, as much as it is, yeah. Okay, let's talk about this Nintendo Direct. Let's get it out um, of the way. It was I a li- stinker. It fucking sucked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, now yeah, we can continue. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, let's um. Let's do this. Let's just share our initial thoughts. Um, Chad just shared his. And then we'll kind of just jump into like some of the announcements that we thought were notable or worth mentioning for better or worse. Because um, there's obviously – there was a lot of things announced. Uh, just not a lot of interesting things were announced. Um, so, Chad, you did not like it. I did not. I felt like the first – so it was a 50-minute direct. It was the And they made a point at the beginning of it of saying, like, this is the first direct like this we've been able to do in a long time. September 2019 was the last time they did one. And they made a point to say that up front. And 50 minutes of this direct, probably like 40 of it was along the same lines of, oh, do you remember this game that came out four years ago on PS4? It's coming to Switch this summer. Do you remember this game that came out two years ago on PS4? It's coming to Switch this summer. Oh, you know this franchise that we've already made you aware of? Well, I know you didn't care about it last time, but it's coming this summer. All of their games are coming this summer, by the way. <laughs> and then the last, like, the last 10 minutes are where any announcements of note were made, and they weren't even that exciting the way that they revealed them anyway. So that's my general thoughts on it. Yeah. I, I'm i not as harsh on it as, like, a lot of people online are, but I wouldn't say I'm favorable towards this either. Like... After a year and a half almost of not having Nintendo Direct, like a real like Nintendo Direct, they needed to come to this with with more. They really needed to. They could have spread this across like two partner showcases over the next two months, and I think that would have not pissed people off. Like there were some big announcements, me, but I'm it was gonna, not worth the fifty off. minutes. No, not 50 minutes for sure. I want to rattle off just a list of games that could have been tweets. Like, hey, this is coming to Switch on this date. That they spent too much time saying, these old games are coming to Switch this summer. Uh, Hades, Ghosts and Goblins, uh, Plants vs. Zombies, Battle for Neighborville, uh, Stubbs the Zombie, Tales from the Borderlands, uh, Legend of Mana Remaster, The Outer Wilds, Metopia, Fall Guys. Fall Guys was actually kind of exciting to see on there, but... All of these games, all of these games that are just like, cool, we know what these games are, we've played them if we care about them, or we don't care about them anymore, oh great, they're on Switch now. Like, yeah. that did not need to be half of this Nintendo Direct, or more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was it was too much. And that's the kind of thing they could have broken off and put into a separate partner showcase. And then even like, God, even the big things they did announce, I think the way they did it, kind of left with more questions than anything. And we'll talk about Zelda in a second, but like I'm excited Splatoon 3 was announced. I'm I can't wait for that game. My initial thought was, god, but they already have Splatoon 2 in this console. Why don't they just add more in 
content to that. But there's actually a five-year gap between Splatoon 2 and Splatoon 3. So I'm like, okay, that's justified. I think that's okay. Also, 60% um, of that trailer was just watching them literally do nothing on a subway. <laughs> yeah, so the first thing I thought was, oh, this isn't Splatoon 3. This is a spinoff of Splatoon that's like single-player focused that's and what I thought too. takes place in this cool new setting. And I'm like, and then they say Splatoon 3, and I'm like, oh, I'm excited for that. But like, you spent a lot of time teasing what this game is probably not going to be. It's probably going to be a Splatoon 2 with a lot of improvements. It's kind of at least what I'm expecting it to be. Um, so it just, it was an odd introduction to that game, even though I'm still excited for it. Um, and I'm like, they, I think they would have been better off. They would have been better off, I think, showing some Breath of the Wild 2 content there. And I say that because they're clearly preparing. They said they're preparing to show off more of that game. I'm still certain that game is coming out this year. This didn't deter me from thinking it's going to come out this year. Um, but I feel like that would have been a better way to invest their time than saying Splatoon 3 is going to be coming next year. I don't know. That would just seemed strange to me. Let's talk about Zelda, though, for a second. Um, okay, so it's the 35th anniversary of Zelda. They clearly know. There's no way that they don't know that people are anticipating something happening for Zelda's 35th anniversary. There's no way they aren't anticipating that. There's no way they aren't anticipating people wanting to see Breath of the Wild 2 content. We know that specifically because they openly said it like, hey, guys, we're not talking Breath of the 2, Breath of the Wild 2 right now. More information should come later this year. But the way they did it was such a fucking tease. Yep. I saw E.G. Onuma and I'm like, oh my god, we're getting it. I was like, I got elated. And then he's like, ah, we're not going to do it. It's kind of like as if it's your birthday, you're so excited, and then dad comes in the room and is like, hey, I know it's your birthday, but we'll talk about that later on this year. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> what the fuck? But I want to know about that right I now. I have cancer and I won't be here next year for your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> So then they announced Skyward Sword HD, and uh, Dallas is very, very sweetly wrote, fuck Skyward Sword, and then he added, to clarify, fuck Skyward Sword. <laughs> he really doesn't like Skyward Sword. I'm curious, Dallas, have you played Skyward Sword before, and that's why you hate it, or you just have no interest? He I'm was curious. on voice chat with us, um, and he said that, yes, he has played it before, and he didn't enjoy it. Okay, okay. I here's my only complaint about Skyward Sword being there. I'm excited for it personally because it's one of the Zelda games I didn't beat. And I would like to beat it, so now I have that opportunity. Here's where I'm annoyed. It brings into question if we're going to get 35th anniversary content, if we're going to get collections and that kind of stuff, if they announce this right now, but then they're going to wait later on to talk about more Zelda stuff for a 35th anniversary. Very confusing way of doing it, I thought. I, now I'm I'm uncertain if we're going to get a 35th anniversary collection of Zelda like we did for Mario. I have no fucking clue because I think we, they I didn't think this announce. Kind of confirms it for me that we are going to get it. Okay. Because I think I think this is a big enough this is a big enough announcement because it is the only game that has not been remastered, the only 3D Zelda game that has not been yeah. remastered yet. So they're they're finally like, mm -hmm. I know you guys were waiting. And you're like, how are they going to do it with the motion controls? We figured it out. This is coming. It's the last mm -hmm. one that we haven't done yet. It gets its own announcement. It gets the Joy-Cons, all that kind of stuff. And then I think that means, cool, now that we have that coming out and we can sell it for full price, later this spring or even early summer, they're going to be like, hey, uh, in celebration of Zelda's 35th anniversary, 
you already can get Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword on July 16th. And remember the limited edition Joy-Cons. And also to celebrate alongside it, after you've beat it, you can also get all the other ones. Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask will come from a 3DS. It'll literally just be an yeah. up-res of it without jaggies. And then it will be Wind Waker and Twilight Princess HD on there as well. All on one disc, just like the Mario mm-hmm. one. But they're going to use that as a way to... Just like Mario did with the 35th anniversary and the Wii U port, that's exactly what they're doing with this. Yeah. It's going to be like, here's all the old ones bundled together, and then here's another remaster that we can say you can pay full price for. Um, so I, I am more so than ever, I think, this summer, before Skyward Sword comes out, we're going to get an announcement of the 35th mm. anniversary collection. I hope so. Because my th- initial thought after seeing this was... I was confused. I was very confused. I hope you're right. Um, we'll talk in a second about a story that gives me more confidence and more faith. Um, I'm just, I don't know. I just thought it was a really weird way to approach it. I, I, I get, it's like they're, they're it, it feels like too much of a tease. Nintendo likes yeah. teases. This is like too much of a tease, I think. Especially to literally um, just say, you probably are expecting me to say something about Breath of the Wild too, aren't you? Like they literally said that out loud. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and and this is why I'm kind of overall. I'll say overall, like what I explained before is my my initial reactions to this and this initial frustration. Overall, I'm in agreements with you. They're going to do something because they kind of have to. They're going to talk about Breath of the Wild too, probably in that like 35th anniversary context. But like, it's just a. It's, I just can't get over how weird it is to to lay it out like this. Like, imagine if they in April of last year was like, and 3D World is coming to like Nintendo Switch later on and they don't mention anything else yeah. and it's like is that is that it like is that it just i expect better marketing from Nintendo they're really good at marketing g- generally speaking um this was not about, their, though, their the highest cadence, moment the cadence they had planned for remember because they spent they wanted to spend all of 2020 talking about Mario's 35th anniversary yeah and that's true yeah so they they had in the plans the collection coming they had in the plans the Wii U game. They had the Super Mario 35 uh, fucking Battle Royale game. They had a bunch of stuff in there, and they had that at a release mm-hmm. cadence. I think they're going to do the same thing. They're like, cool, Skyward Sword's coming in the summer. In the fall, look forward to this collection. And then early next year, in 2022, we have a brand new Zelda game to finish out the year with Zelda Breath of the Wild 2 to put a cap on us 35 years. And... You know, Breath of the Wild came out in March. Why not? You know, end that kind of cycle with mm-hmm. March release as well. I don't because because yeah. that's kind of what they did with Mario. They're like, hey, we've got Super Mario Thirty Five mm-hmm. right now, and then in September you've got the the collection coming out, and then early twenty twenty one we have a new mm-hmm. game, a new remaster coming out. I hope you're right because I want I want more Zelda content on Switch. I want Wind Waker. I want Twilight Princess. Um, I cared less about Majora's Mask and Queen of Time coming over just because I have those on 3DS right now, but I'm hoping you're right about that. And I think that you are. I'm just upset with how they're handling it. <laughs> they just <laughs> want it now. Yeah. Um, some other things that they announced there. Um, another thing that kind of, I think, added my confusion on the whole Zelda thing is Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity is getting an expansion pass that's coming out in the summer. Um, I guess there's boy, demand for that game. Bland. I guess people like it. <laughs> yeah, people seem to really like it. Um, I, that expansion pass just seems weak. <laughs> it's like new outfits and some like new levels. And that's kind of it. 
Um, but like, whatever, it's cool. Um, I'm not going to buy it anyway. I'm not going to buy the initial game. Um, Super Mario items coming to Animal Crossing. The update's arriving February 25th, but the items aren't available until like March 1st or something like that, but whatever. Um, I usually don't like the seasonal items in Animal Crossing. I usually just don't include them on my island because I just don't really care about the events. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I still have a bunch of the wood eggs because when I go to visit a friend's island, I just bury one on their island. (laughs) (laughs) So they dig it up and wonder why the fuck there's an egg in their island. It's great. Um... So, uh, but these items I thought actually looked kind of cool. I don't think I'm going to use any of them. Maybe the mushrooms. Um, those could be just good aesthetics in general outside of um, Mario. But that warp pipe is kind of awesome. Uh, where you can, um, I mean, essentially you can set up two warp pipes and warp between them. Just like you would expect a warp pipe to do. And as you know, on my island, I have a secret area. And I'm like, what if I made a second secret area that is accessible only by getting to the first secret area, and I just had this, like, fenced-off area no one can get into, and the warp pipe is in there, with the first warp pipe being in my secret campsite. I'm like, that would be kind of awesome. I have, like, two kind of secret areas on my island, and you have to, like, they play off of each other. I'm like, I think that's what I'm going to do with that. I'm excited about that. That's going to be cool. Um, I kind of was expecting to see, um, like, an Animal Crossing anniversary, like, update, like a 2.0 update. Um, and I feel like that is still coming, but I'm not a bummed it didn't show up actually because I kind of realized that that's the kind of game that they can just do a direct specifically for Animal Crossing and just have an Animal Crossing only direct and really break that down. I am still extremely confident we're going to get a 2.0 update to Animal Crossing this year. The evidence for this, I think, is abundantly clear. Every time they do a new holiday or a new event, it goes from 1.1 to 1.2 to 1.3 to 1.4. They're on 1.7 right now. Mario's going to be 1.8. They're not going to get to 1.9 and start doing 1.9.1, They're going to get to 2 eventually, and they're going to have to do something big to justify it being a 2.0 upgrade. Um, they have a plan. I'm expecting something. We'll probably hear about that, though, closer to March 20th, which would be the one-year anniversary of Animal Crossing New Horizons. So still holding out hope for that. Um, but we haven't talked yet about the biggest game, and that was um, the Famicom Detective Club. There are two. Yes. I'm just kidding. We're not two talking about that coming. game. <laughs> two of them are coming. Um, you mentioned briefly uh, Outer Wilds. I agree that should just be like in a montage or something like that. Um, but I am still really excited that game is coming to Switch because for two reasons. One, I didn't think it was possible to get that game on Switch because there's so much it's so CPU heavy with the the simulation of the of the, the solar system and these huge objects like playing off each other. I'm like, how on earth could they put it on Switch? And I never thought it would happen and it happened. I'm like, fuck yes. Because there are people that I would love to play that game but don't have any other systems. So that's cool. Um do you care about Mario Golf at all? No, I know people love Mario Golf, but I, I've never been into the Mario sports games aside from Strikers Charged, and tennis was this on the Switch was the worst thing that I bought on the Switch. Um, so, <laughs> you know, how fucking lackluster is Smash now? <laughs> like, we got a brand new Smash character. I didn't, like, I saw, I saw that it was in I didn't give a fuck. Like, I didn't give a fuck that it was mm-hmm. a Smash character being announced. I didn't give a fuck about who it was. Because, let's be honest, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 characters are just fucking... What's the fire... They're just Fire Emblem characters in disguise. That's all yeah, they are. Yeah, more swords. More swords. Just stupid people with big swords that I don't want to play with. 
Like, give me fun Nintendo history characters or the other third parties that are yeah. interesting. And bring so. Gino. Everyone wants Gino. Why don't they just bring Gino? Because fucking clearly people Gino. want him. Uh, um, yeah, that was. It was a cool. It was cool how they revealed it though. Because at first you're like, is this just more Xenoblade Two content? And I'm like, no, this has got to be Smash Bros. I kind of kept going back and forth. I'm like, ah, Smash Bros. You got me. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like the announcement itself, I'm like, that's that's the character. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I don't play Smash Bros. So why do I care? Um, that was pretty much all the big stuff that happened. Um, we already talked about Project Triangle Strategy, the greatest name for any game ever. <laughs> um, so not really too much there. Um, the next story, we kind of touched on this, um, but I'll just briefly mention it. Uh, rumor, Zelda's 35th anniversary will see the return of Wind Waker and Twilight Princess, says Liam Doolin at Nintendo Life. Liam Doolin pulled up a tweet from Andy Robinson, who's a journalist with uh, VGC, um, Video Game Chronicle. Uh, he posted the following to Twitter. He said, for those disappointed with Skyward Sword Remaster, Wind Waker and Twilight Princess are 100% coming this year. So that's at least one good 3D Zelda he put in. I'm curious what he means by that, because Wind Waker and Twilight Princess are both really good. Um, Probably means Wind Waker, because so like he's a like revisionist the... history kind of person. I bet he hated it when Wind Waker <laughs> came out, but now he's like, it's the best Zelda. <laughs> it's so good, though. Um, so yeah, I'm... In afterwards from the event, I've been feeling better, but the the scars take a long time to heal. Just to think, <laughs> scars take a long time to heal. Uh, we already talked about it's going to be Zelda anniversaries, Breath of the Wild two happening this year. Um, actually, I don't think you answered. Do you think Breath of the Wild two is happening this year still, or do you think that's no. going to be pushed back? I think it's to the first quarter. I think it's the first quarter of twenty twenty two. Today is like the twenty thirty fifth anniversary, or this week or something like that is the thirty fifth anniversary technically. Yeah, today is. Yeah. So it's yeah. I think that's the way that they cap off the year, just as just like with Mario, they capped it off with the Wii U remaster of 3D World. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's what they do to celebrate. Yeah, I'm still holding on for this year. Crossing my fingers. We'll see. All right, that was everything Nintendo this week. Moving on to the third party quest log. I'm actually gonna hand this over to you, Chad, because I think you'll be able to better explain this than me. With the uh, Avengers War Table. Yeah, so here's here's the thing. We're not going to spend more than 45 seconds on this. Avengers had another war table to let us know that it's coming finally to PS5 and Xbox Series game uh, consoles in March 2021. It's going to include everything you'd expect. Better frame rates, better loading times, upgraded visuals, haptics on PS5. Great. March 18th. Perfect. Still does not give me a reason to go back to that game. I'm not going to go back and play the same game with just better frame rate. Um, but they did announce the Hawkeye DLC with dates, and it's arriving March 18th as well. It's inspired by the Old Man Hawkeye comics. They've got different types of arrows. Great, but I'm not going to play with Hawkeye in a game that's boring now, that I, that's so repetitive. That, like When you change up the game and introduce whatever V2 or V1.5 of Avengers is, that's going to get me excited. This does nothing for me. Play as another character in a repetitive game that you've already put 50 hours into. That's I think the next event's going to be <laughs> I think the next event's going to be more intriguing to you. This was a uh, BlizzCon 2021 had some good <laughs> announcements and reveals from World yes. of Warcraft 2. Chad say it say it Chad from World of Warcraft 2 to Diablo. El Diablo. Yeah. Los hermanos. <laughs> Pollos um, hermanos. There are a lot of the things here we're not going to talk about like World of Warcraft that kind of stuff. But Chad tell us about Diablo because yeah, we, here's the thing. we all know you love Diablo. I didn't watch the BlizzCon announcements. 
so I, I just like caught up with trailers about the things I care about, which was really just Diablo 2 and Diablo 4. So I just watched those two things. So if you're interested in like, oh my god, what Warcraft stuff was announced, I'm not the person for that. But, side note, can you imagine that like last year we were talking about boycotting Blizzard and free Hong Kong and all that kind of stuff from BlizzCon and, and now we're just like, ah, I forgot everything that happened. Here's Diablo. I can't wait to play it. <laughs> oh, humans are weak. Uh, so yes, two things Diablo-related were shown off. The first was that Diablo 2, the remaster that's been rumored forever, like the worst-kept secret, actually got announced. It is Diablo 2 Resurrected. It is, the, it is the game from a trillion years ago. I think it was like the 25th anniversary of that game or something like that. It is coming this year to all consoles and, and PC. And I'm cautious, but also very excited. I, that game as I mentioned earlier, was one of the very few games that I know that I've put over 200 hours into. And I've played through the whole game with several different character classes and different builds of those character classes. So I'm excited that it is that game again. And they've mentioned that as much as possible, like it is literally a reskin, like a remaster, not a remake. And they've mentioned a couple of quality of life improvements, but there are some things that I think need to happen as well. So they've mentioned that uh, they're going to have the option for you to automatically pick up loot instead of having to click on every single thing as you go, which is nice. But loot in Diablo 2 is not instanced. And what that means is that like, if you're playing multiplayer and a ring drops, it's whoever gets to it first. They get that ring. If a sword drops, it's whoever gets to that sword first. That provides for a, uh, a very hostile multiplayer environment with myself <laughs> because I want all of that loot. <laughs> and, you know, modern RPGs now with Borderlands and Destiny and things like that, you all get your own version of the loot. No one has to worry about fighting over it. Uh, and so they've mentioned a couple of improvements, but that's not something – obviously, we don't have a ton of details about it right now, but that's something that I do hope gets addressed. Um. And then, yeah, you pointed this out too, that it, like, it looks like it did way back then, but just with upgraded visuals, which I think is a really cool yeah. throwback to it. They could have made it this really like super high-def, modern-looking thing, but like it's kind of cool. It looks like a 90s game. Yeah. It still looks like a 90s game. Um, yeah, I don't... I, just Diablo's not my kind of style of game, but I totally recognize that this is a massive announcement. It's kind of funny. I think I've heard more about Diablo 2 than Diablo 4 this week, which is uh, yeah. kind of funny. Well, part of that's because they didn't reveal much about Diablo 4, but Diablo 2 was... Yeah. Diablo 2, they mentioned it in the in the reveal trailer. It basically defined what the modern action RPG is. Um, so, like, that's really exciting just to be able to go back and revisit that. But for us, it also sparked now, like, Matt's going to play Diablo 3 for the first time. We're all going to play through that, and then we're all going to go back and play Diablo 2 together when it comes out. So being able to do that is really really fun but then they also announced for diablo 4 oh one more thing about diablo 2 that's exciting they mentioned that for the game itself it is literally the same game underneath they're just putting new textures on top so you could switch between the old and the new graphics on on the oh, fly that's cool but they said that you can't do that, obviously, with cinematics. So they're actually going back and recreating every single cinematic from the game. And that's watching the Diablo... I don't know how many Blizzard cinematic videos that you've watched. But they have the most fucking amazing cinematics in games. And even 25 years ago in Diablo 2, I was playing that game. I wasn't playing it at, tw- at five years old, but uh, six years old. But, you know, whenever <laughs> I did eventually play it as a, as a young lad... I was thinking, like, this is the best fucking 
animated thing I've ever seen. Like it was, it looks so good, even way back then on a 800 by 600 TV screen or, or computer monitor. So the, with them remaking them now is going to be, I can't, I can't wait to see what those cinematics look like. Then Diablo 4 Rogue Class, I love what they're doing with, like, the Diablo universe itself has, like, this this cool way of carrying things from game to game, like the town of Tristram and uh, the characters that it has that it brings from game to game. And there's been, like, the Barbarian class has been with the series almost from the beginning, which is kind of cool. Uh, it was introduced in Diablo 2, and that same Barbarian has been a character in Diablo 3 that's playable, and now Diablo 4, but they update it in different ways. And so they introduced the Rogue class, which was one of the first three classes you could play in Diablo 1 that's coming back as well. And that is an addition to the Druid from Diablo 2 that's going to be playable again. So I like that they're like giving those nods, but also updating them in a slightly different way so that you, they don't play exactly the same and there's new twists to them. It's cool. The, the video itself was a lot cooler than the Rogue class is because the Rogue class is basically just bows <laughs> and it's not fun. <laughs> um. The, I watched the Overwatch 2 content. Um, I actually watched the entire um, video for it. So I, just, I just want to watch a little bit of it, but I was actually kind of captivated by it. It looks really, really good, actually. Um, and I can absolutely see myself playing that game. I'm actually kind of surprised to be saying that because I didn't really care for Overwatch 1 that much. It's just I don't really get into the competitive-style shooters that much. Um, but they are adding a lot it is not just the competitive part of it there's a lot of single player parts with essentially like um they look like a lot of strike like you'd see in destiny essentially but apparently there are like hundreds of them um the game is just fucking gorgeous looking it just it honestly looks like it'd be a lot of fun to play so i was actually kind of impressed by that i'm curious to see more of that maybe i will get that who knows Ooh. um Sorry, so that was all the fun news for the week. Let's move on to a more serious topic. Um, we're going to talk about Six Days in Fallujah. Um, quick background. I don't want to spend too much time on the background, but basically Six Days in Fallujah is a uh, game based on real events that is made by interviewing the Marines and um, um, some civilians that were in Fallujah at the time. It's a It was a large-scale conflict during the Iraq War. Um I just heard a brief in Discord that I lost you for a second. Um, and it was going to be made in 2009. It ended up being canceled by uh, Konami because there was just a lot of backlash around making a game based on real-world events like that, which 2009 was a very different time for games. Very, very different time for games. So I think I can understand why they would want to come back and maybe try to do something now because things have changed so much they uh, February 11th announced a new trailer for it um, kind of it's largely their same exact goal that they had before they're just doing it again um, and there's been a lot of controversy about uh, a specific statement um, that was made by the creator um, which is kind of found in the headline but I want to read the context in the article because I think that it's important to see that context here um, so here's the headline from Charlie Hill at Polygon six days in Fallujah not trying to make a political commentary creator says um, I'm going to write down the story here um, and then we'll kind of talk about the the full breadth of it so I think this is an important discussion 
Um, the game Six Days in Fallujah is attempting to document through video games the experience of a soldier in Fallujah and um, bring greater awareness to the conflict. They use interviews with real Marines and civilians on the um, ground during the conflict to create the most realistic experience possible. These real people are also characters in the game, including their likeness. Because of its specific focus on um, Fallujah, the game will not delve into the rest of the Iraq war or the political circumstances that led to it. This is a quote um, from, what's the guy's name? Uh, um, I guess it's Tom Tay, who is the head of, uh, um, of the game's publisher, uh, Victura. He was also actually the um, VP of Bungie when Halo came out, so he's been in the industry for a while. Um, he said... For us as a team, it's really about helping players understand the complexity of urban combat. It's about the experiences of that individual that is now there because of political decisions. And we do not want to show how choices we do not uh, we do want to show how choices are made by policymakers affect the choices that a Marine needs to make on the battlefield. Just as that Marine cannot second guess the choices by the policymakers, we're not trying to make a political commentary about whether or not the war itself was a good or bad idea. I think the full quote there paints a different picture than the initial headline does. Um, Charlie Hill, who's the author, um, from Bali, um, Polygon, believes that it's not right to discuss Fallujah without discuss, um, discussing the circumstances that led to the soldiers being in Fallujah in the first place. Quoting from the article directly, look back on the reasons for the Iraq war itself. Many rightly question whether the U.S. military should have been there at all. Did the administration of George um, W. Bush mislead the American people and the world in the months before March 2003 invasion? Was the so-called coalition of the willing duped or otherwise incentivized into following along? Tomte isn't interested in those questions. Charlie also takes issue with six days in Fallujah not being, interest, quote, interested in portraying the alleged atrocities committed during the conflict. One of those was uh, white phosphorus weapons, which is just a form of chem chemical weapons. Think like napalm, kind of in that um, in that sphere. Uh, Tomte, the head of the game, um, uh, Tomte responded to the concerns of white phosphorus. He said, and I quote, I have two concerns with including phosphorus as a weapon. Number one is that it's not part of the stories that these guys told us, so I don't have an authentic factual basis on which to tell that. That's most important. Number two is I don't want sensational types of things to distract from the parts of that experience. Tomte's major defense of the game is that it doesn't glorify war. Players won't be confused by the cost of war, he says. He believes ignoring the battle doesn't help people question the consequences of war. And then I thought this is kind of an important detail to tack on in the end. In terms of the game structure, 90% of it's going to follow the Marines and based on the interviews of the Marines. And then 10% of the story is going to be focused on essentially a father trying to um, get his family together and escape Fallujah during the conflict that was happening. And all of that is based off of the real world events. Um, so that's kind of the summary of that Polygon article. And there's been a lot of talk about that specifically that not trying to make a political commentary um, has been kind of the thing that's got pushed around um, a lot on that one. But I'm curious um, what thoughts you have I am, on this uh, topic. I'm very much in support of this game for a couple reasons. The first is that I, in the past few years, we've realized that video games can be a very powerful medium for telling stories. And especially with The Last of Us released last year, it, it is the best way to experience empathy with characters and people. And mm -hmm. so I think that this is the right medium for exploring these stories and the actual truth of what's happening on the battlefield. 
I think this is an incredibly like novel way to to open people up to actually what's happening out there. I yeah. also think that by using liter- like actual Marines, their interviews, and putting them in the game and obviously consulting with them on the content, like that's as truthful as it's going to be. Uh, so I think that they're not making up, mm-hmm. hey, this is what we think happened in the Iraq war and we're going to tell our story. You know, they're like, these are their stories. We're just letting you play them. Yeah. Um, so I'm very excited about it for that. I think it's, it's going to be an eye-opening experience for a lot of people who play other types of games or watch movies and they do have a very different mm-hmm. realization of what war is. Um, I, I have, you know, my sister was in the military. I have uh, a couple other family members and friends who have been in the military and the consistently I hear like, I go over to Iraq or I go over to Afghanistan or I go over to X place and it's completely not what I thought it was going to be. There's, uh, uh, you know, they think that you're going over there, you're going to have this heroic, like, oh, yeah, we're all going to go into battle and we're all going to... No, it's it's very much a lot of boredom sitting around waiting for something to happen and then some of the most terrifying moments of your life all happening at once. And to have you in those situations um, and making those decisions yourself in the game, I think it's going to it's going to open people's eyes in a way that isn't, hasn't been possible before with other mediums. So I'm very much in support of it. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, I've always, like you were just saying, I've always had this idea that, you know, games have a capacity for empathy that no other medium can possibly have. That's why I think The Last of Us Part Two story was so successful. And I think that's why this game is so important is because you, it's like this is the closest we're going to get to a video game documentary and being in the the shoes of those soldiers experience that for the real life. I can't think of a better way to do that. And I'm I'm quite frankly a little bothered that this misquote of we're not trying to make a political commentary is being thrown out there when he's not saying that they don't want to make a political commentary. He's saying the scope of this game is Fallujah. The scope of this game is not going to be Dick Cheney and, you know, George Bush and and the things that they did. That's just outside the scope of this game. And I I think a good way to look at this is what did the Hurt Locker, a, a great movie about, um, the same war that that had more to do with the the lives of the soldiers and less to do with the policy decisions that went into it. Right. And that movie can stand on its own. So I don't see why this game can't stand on its on its own and focus very specifically. I don't have any problem with this game being made. I wouldn't have a problem if a game that focused on George Bush and Dick Cheney and their atrocities and all that. I don't know what that game would look like, but I mean, I, I, they're just separate things. You don't need to talk about the whole context of the Iraq war to talk about Fallujah. They're just it's like saying the documentary supersize me didn't talk about Burger King. It's like the focus (laughs) of that documentary was McDonald's. Like, that's just what that was about. Um, I do. And I'm curious um, why they're not putting the uh, white phosphorus in there. That seems important. I get what he's saying, that it's not what they were those soldiers experience in there. Um, but I think that could be controversial. But I think the really important thing to keep in mind with something like this is that this game is playing into a gray area, and it is really important that we judge this based on the game itself and how successful the game is in capturing that experience and the discussions that pop up from the actual content of the games. And I'm really, I really hope that it doesn't get lost in, oh, that game that didn't want to talk about politics, and like that's the conversation. I just feel like that would be... A loss because if we want to take games as art seriously, I think it's 
quite frankly, mandatory that we give this game a chance. I think it would also be really disingenuous to introduce the political discussion into the game that they're making. Because it's very clear they are there to describe the experience of the soldiers themselves on the ground in the moment during combat. And that Mm -hmm. they... Furthest thing from their mind is, did George Bush make up something in order to get me here? And are they making the right political strategy, like the political moves? And why am <laughs> yeah. I in this spot? No, they are like they are literally thinking, when I open this door, is there going to be a machine gun waiting for me there? And they open the door, and as they said yeah. in the trailer, it's like, you either are dead or you feel a sense of relief. And you're like, thank God, now we have to go to the next room, and it's the next most terrifying moment of my life. That's what this game is trying to get across in the same way that like Hellblade was working like moment to moment with the psychosis and, and The Last of Us with the decisions that you have to make in that game in the moment. So I think to say this game is about the war, I want to tell the story of this particular soldier or this group of soldiers in there and then to introduce all the political discussion, like they have nothing to do with that. That is none of their concern. Their concern is how do I stay alive? How do I deal with the the terror of having to shoot these people who are trying to murder me? And then how do I make sure that the mm-hmm. civilians get out and I'm doing my job? Like that's that's what this game yeah. is about. And I think it would be awful if mm-hmm. they tried to introduce the political stuff as well. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that to even kind of continue that, like I think it's really important to show the difference between the policymakers and the soldiers. I think people had this idea that, or some people at least, had this idea that Oh, the soldier. I've actually heard this from a friend of mine recently. Like, oh, soldiers are bad, and I'm like, they don't make the decisions. They don't get to decide like that. They go into that particular building. If you decide as a soldier, I'm not going to partake in that battle. The penalty is a lot of prison time, potentially up to the death penalty, depending on the severity of your des- uh, uh, desertion. As a soldier, you don't have a choice. Right. And some soldiers joined it not because they you know, want to shoot a bunch of terrorists or some meme like that. Some soldiers got into it because they didn't have means to pay for college and they wanted an opportunity to go to college. So they joined the military. And like, there are so many reasons that someone becomes a soldier and then they sacrifice their lives. And like, you got to create the distinction between the policymakers who tell the soldiers what to do and the soldier itself. And I feel like this game really could help with that, that nuance in those situations. So I really this right now this game is a PC only game. I think they have a plan to bring it to console eventually. I really want to play this game when it comes out. I really want to see how well they they pull it off because this could be I think an important step in games being taken more seriously and, and making serious commentary. So it makes me really want to go back and now play Spec Ops the Line to see like just how revolutionary was that or did it even go cuz they you mm-hmm. know they addressed white phosphorus in there as well. I was like Put that on the barf. I, I need to play that game. I've heard it's it. really good. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I'm glad we got to talk about that because that's uh, I think a really important story. Um, moving on to the fetch quests. Not a lot of fetch quests this week, mostly because we talked about the Nintendo event and all that stuff. Which there's lots of fetch quests in there that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk about DC. What was it? We should talk about um, DC. You superhero girls teen power. <laughs> yep. I was laughing at the name. It's just such an unnecessarily <laughs> long name. Dragon Ball Z, Budokai um, Tenkaichi 3, Teen Girl Power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of names, though, report, report, extra, extra, read all about it. Rainbow Six Quarantine is now called Rainbow Six Parasite, potentially, says Chandler Wood at PlayStation Lifestyle. There's some leaked images people found in PSN. Um, uh, it changes the name to uh, Rainbow Six Parasite. I think it's a better name. Yep. Makes sense. It's also a cooler name. Yep. Like Parasite is just like, oh, that reminds me of that's Absolutely. Like zombies or Qu- Resident Evil or some kind of like crazy shit like that. Quarantine is just like, 
There was the movie quarantine I'm once. Bored. It was kind of spooky, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm bored. I'm yeah, going to go uh, watch a TikTok dance yeah. 70 times. Yeah. <laughs> Let me sing a sea shanty. Watch the immortal, the immortal. Watch Mortal Kombat movies first. Red band trailer says Michael McWhorter at Polygon. The trailer is finally out. Chad, how much did you love this trailer? To be honest, it's going to be a bad movie, but I'm going to enjoy watching it a lot. Like there was some. I don't care about the premise and setting up. Oh my god, it's it's this competition. These more. I, I don't give a fuck about any of that. The fight scenes look like they're going to be dope. There's a point where Sub Zero breaks. I forget who it was. Like breaks open their arm. Blood comes out. He freezes the blood into a dagger and then stabs him with it. Like that's going to be so cool. <laughs> but it's going to be a bad movie. Yeah, it's not going to be a bad movie, but I think you're right. They definitely like focus on the fatalities a lot and kind of wanted to bring those elements of the game in. That's cool to see. Uh, this is not going to be an Oscar winner by any means. <laughs> but um, I think for people, fans of Mortal Kombat, it seems like it's really resonating, and that's exactly what the goal of this is. So good for them. Chad, this might be the most important story. <laughs> actually, I shouldn't say that considering what we actually talked about this week, but this is a really uh, important story to me. Elden Ring age rating could be a hint at possible new trailer, says Murdad Kayat at Dual Shockers. The game got rated Peggy 16, and you know what that means. That means we're going to see a trailer that starts with release Peggy 16. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully that means it's coming out soon. Oh, man. Oh, man. Can't wait. Can't wait. This Bungie next one, expands. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Bungie expands its studio partly to create non-Destiny games, says Jordan Oleman at IGN. Bungie wants to uh, release this new IP by 2025, and their studio, by the way, is huge now. It's yeah. more than doubled in size. It's like what over 200,000 square feet now. Like holy shit! And they like they they mentioned as part of their like 10 year plan that they showed off a few years ago that that they want to release their own non-Destiny IP now that they're independent. But they also are talking about, as part of this expansion, they are looking to tell other stories in the Destiny universe in other medium. Like, they want to have mm-hmm. it in every medium. And I cannot frick, I cannot tell you, watching those several hours long lore videos on YouTube of Destiny stuff. Like, I would love a Golden Age Destiny TV series. I would love a movie <laughs> about the frickin' the hive gods and like i would i cannot wait to consume all of this destiny content either in a game in a spin-off series in movies tv show comic books i can't wait it all looks so good and by looks so good i mean there's nothing out yet but my imagination is very good <laughs> <laughs> it's destiny 2 that's all you need to know yep and that is everything you need to know for episode 200 of respawn aim fire that's Woo! the end everyone we already did game on game show. We did. But we, we did game say, on game show. We did 200 facts. We did 200 hours of games that we put into. And we did a 200 episode of game on game show. We love everyone here. We have two reminders. The first one is year of the guest part two, everybody. Affabilities.com is a thing. Go there. Check out the other content creators. Come back to the top of the page. Join us as a guest on uh, an episode sometime this year. Second... Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask is the barf game for this month. That is bar- backlog accomplishment with Respawn and friends. Something that we're all playing together on our 3DSs or our N64s. Um, and then we will talk about or it. Or Wii Virtual Console if you already have it. That's right, Wii Virtual Console. We'll talk about it the first week of March uh, as well. And the barf poll for next month's game is up right now. 
if you voted immediately and voted multiple times Dallas, we destroyed the poll, burned it, and put up another one with only restricted to one. But you can vote in the poll based on... Final Fantasy Nine, Final Fantasy Nine, Final <laughs> Fantasy Nine. You can vote on the poll if you are a patron at patreon.com slash respawn aim fire. That allows you to influence what we play every month for barf. It allows you to play with us on Thursday nights for game night. We played Zombies last week in Call of Duty. Who knows what we'll play this week. Uh, and you also get dope wallpapers for all of your stuff. Hold on. We're going to go out with glasses. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Holden, for being with me for the last four years doing this podcast. Both of your eyes are now in one zero of the 200, but I don't care. I'm not going to adjust them to fit. There you Oh, yeah. Nope. Nope. Yep. <laughs> there we go. Uh, there we go. That's it, everybody. And until next time, here's our usual sign-off. Do you remember when you assholes thought I was outside the door and then I came running in from the side of the screen? Whoo! Two hundo, baby. Two hundo. <laughs> <laughs>